0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. participating in McDonald's for a limited time.
1: I'd like somebody to name five other basketball players that are better than Drew Holiday. Just a nod of respect to him. I, he's a guy that too often is just overlooked as like a truly, truly great player. We made these guys work for about three quarters of the game, made it tough on them, and then they just kind of broke it open. And um, sometimes that happens. And you know, for the most part, I thought I thought we just kept competing and kept trying to do what we could. You know, those guys, he and Giannis combined for what is that, 34 for 48. You know, which is that's tough to overcome. We certainly could have defended them better, um, but they were, you know, they were they were tremendous.
2: Oh, welcome in here. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook, 93.5, the fan. I don't know about you, Jimmy, but I missed the part where the Pacers made the Bucks work for three quarters last night. Were you there for that part? I, I missed that part.
1: I also missed that. Also, uh, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, John ja Morant, uh, and Klay Thompson. There's five. Sorry, Rick. I just wanted to he said there was, could name five players better than Drew Holiday. Oh, oh I, I, I make sure I got that out, out there right out of the gate. I hear you. Both, yeah, yeah. both were interesting statements.
2: Yeah, yeah, a little hyperbole there. A little slightly, hyperbole, but, slightly. you know, uh, look, I, let's start off on a, a positive note here. I thought it was a successful night for the Pacers and hear me out on this one. The young guys played a lot, right? They're in team tank mode, <laughs> resting their <laughs> top three scores. So young guys played a ton The Pacers scored a lot of points, 129 as a team. I thought they played hard. Not great defense, but they played hard. And most importantly, they lost. They lost the game. (laughs) We need the losses over here to have better odds come uh, draft uh, time, draft lottery
1: wise. The NBA and the state of a franchise is not decided upon or not finished upon within a vacuum. Right there's there's a, a full season of observations you have to take into account. However, if you're going game by game with this team, and you're looking for observations of this is something to look forward to next year, or there's a positive development within this team. They've had a lot of ups and downs where they play up and down to their competition. They have a win over the Bucks as recently as a couple of weeks ago. I know they lose by 13, but I mean they're they're hanging with them in terms of scoring for portions of that game to a point where it's like, hey, if they weren't you know second to last or last in. Uh, some of those defensive metrics like the Pistons are, and they were one player away like we think they are, maybe next year is going to be really positive depending on what they do in the draft. So plenty of reason for optimism. As you continue to see the young guys get out there, grow, do their thing, but like you mentioned at the end of the day, if you're in Team Tank, another one for the ping pong balls last night.
2: Yeah, another, another one, exactly. as DJ Khaled exactly. says. Yes, we're yeah. trying to, to just uh, stockpile all those. We're like a squirrel, like stockpiling, you know? Yeah, exactly. Food over yep. here. Like, so, yeah, the Pacers are currently seventh in the draft order. I, I don't know the best way to say it, right? Like they have the, the seventh worst record. Because it's not the official order yet until the lottery rolls around, but they're seventh in the pecking order. And right now, so the Pacers' record is 33 and 44. Orlando and the Blazers are both 32 and 44. So they're right there. The Pacers could, if they're able to move up, yeah, it's kind of like it's kinda of hard to explain. It's like if they lose more, they can move up in the odds, right? So hope they lose more to move up in the odds. If they can surpass the Magic and the Blazers, that'd be great. They'd be fifth in the draft odds. That to me is the goal. I don't know that they're gonna get there because the Blazers without Damian Lillard, holy hell, <laughs> they lost by forty last night.
3: They've lost by forty, they've lost by thirty four, six. And uh, 28 since they've ruled out Damian Lillard. So uh, I think that what the play might be the rest of the way uh, is uh, take the spread for the other team and maybe even minus 20. Yeah,
2: I know. I I feel bad as you rattled that off, Eddie Garrison. Those four games, I picture the one guy who like took the other team when the the Blazers lost by like six or whatever it was. And they're getting blown out by like 29, 40 in the other three games. I just came to mind. But yeah, I don't know that the Pacers are going to surpass the Blazers in terms of having more ping pong balls over here.
1: And if you're still in that train of, well, maybe they can still find a way to make the play in their tragic number, Uh. I think, is it like two? Oh, Which geez. would be, they need one more loss combined with one Bulls win, and that's pretty much done, I believe is is where they're at in that regard. So... Not much really to worry about in that camp. And at that point, then I'll really start getting annoyed if there's late wins. Like, I'm not interested in a a game 82 come from behind victory that bumps them from potentially a fifth spot, let's say, if they do catch Portland, to the seventh spot where they're at right now. Not interested in any feel-good moments like that that are going to allegedly carry over for the next six months. Get the ping-pong balls. Let's be done with it. Yeah.
2: Ping-pong balls. We are on the prowl for ping-pong balls. I did love, because I caught most of Rick Carlisle's post-game press conference, and he had some gems. He did. <laughs> he was looking at the uh, stat sheet, and he goes, uh, we shot, I forget what he said, like uh, 53%. I have to go back and look. He's like, eh. they shot 62%, so that's not good. Not great. <laughs> <That's>
1: how- <laughs> no, it's not a recipe for, for success. No. <laughs>
2: The puck shot sixty-two percent. I just love some of the the statements he makes with a straight face. I feel like we made him work for three quarters last night. They shot sixty-two percent. Like I don't know. I don't know. I think it's he's just in a daze at some some point over here, and he's just like, I'm speaking, and it's toward the end of the season, and everything's a blur type thing. But I did not see the Bucks have to work for three quarters last night. Shout out to Drew Holiday, though. That guy was sensational. 51 points. And one thing Carlisle pointed out that was correct in his postgame press conference Drew Holiday can guard anybody. Yep. He is 6'3 and can guard anybody. And he did that last night while scoring 51 points. I thought about this, Jimmy. I thought about this, is where my, how my mind works. I thought about the NFL combine, of all things, watching Drew Holiday because I'm thinking about, you know, how they do the bench press, right? Yeah. So you're just repping out 225. And whether it's football or basketball, some players. They play stronger than what they rep out on the bench press. Some players play weaker than what they rep out on the bench press. I don't know what Drew Holiday does as far as repping out 225, but he plays like he could rep out 50 (laughs) reps. He could do 50 reps of 225. That's how strong he plays. He is he is really, really a solid player, man. Yeah,
1: I mean, all, all jokes aside, with my joke at the top, right? I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of being tug and cheek there of, of top five players in the hyperbole that's involved there. Oh, he's not there. that high. He's You're not, right he's about not, he's that. He's, he's not he's, that he's, high. He's not that high, but like in terms of most talented players in the league or in terms of just guys that are able to do it for you on both ends, he's not averaging 50 a game. Everybody knows that, but he is able to do it on both ends of the floor in such a way that is part of the reason. If you remove him from this team, I'm not saying that you're not still considering the Bucks at the top of the list for Eastern Conference representative or NBA champion, but he is as massive a piece to this Bucks team as anybody on that roster.
2: You know, it's when we think about the NBA, we think about that alpha, right? That yep. the one guy, the superstar, that can be a franchise-altering type player. They have that in Giannis, but the Bucks are a great example Of franchise-altering secondary players. That's also important. Drew Holiday is one of those guys. You know, we're watching with the football going on. Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback, he's at his pro day right now. And uh, listen, if he is a talent in the NFL, we all know what a true franchise quarterback can do for an NFL franchise. But look at these teams that are challenging to win it all, have won it all. Look at the Chiefs. Your Chiefs, Jimmy. You know, you've got Patrick Mahomes there, but another franchise difference-making type player is Travis Kelsey. If you look at the 49ers, look at beyond quarterback, because I think Brock Purdy is just a guy. But look at all the franchise-altering type difference-making players they have with Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and Fred Warner as a stud linebacker. The list goes Nick Bosa. list goes on and on. So football and basketball – those secondary players, like the the Robin Rolls, if you will, like Dwayne Wade to LeBron, on and on and on. I don't think we talk about it as much in the NBA as we should, but those secondary players can make a huge difference. That can be the difference between winning a championship and not winning it.
1: It kind of gets blended in or did in the last era. And by the last era, I mean the last like 10, 15 years of the NBA, of the Big Three era, it sort of got commonplace. People just kind of forgot about the importance of role players, the importance of, to your point, your Robins or or your secondary pieces. And it just kind of, I think, was taken for granted at times. And then as we've seen the last four or five seasons... It's less about a big three, just three superstars coming together and maybe one main iconic piece, some places too, but then a bunch of high quality secondary pieces that if you don't have those guys, like you look at. Take LeBron back with Cleveland in the first rendition of that. You always talked about oh, he didn't have any help or he didn't have any right. role players. Milwaukee has done everything in their power as a small market team to either draft well, sign well, or acquire well via trade pieces to build around Giannis, and that's the dream for any team that is in a smaller market around this league. No, it's well stated,
2: and the Bucs, man, that's, that's a pretty deep team because – Giannis is your superstar, and then followed by you know, Drew Holiday's a two-time All-Star. Chris Middleton's been an All-Star, and then you have solid players like contributors, where a Joe Ingles, a Bobby Portis, you know, you've got guys that can contribute. That's a really good team, man. Really good team. I think that the East is a little bit like the AFC, <laughs> yeah. right? Where you've got in the AFC, you've got those three top teams: the Chiefs, Bills, Bengals. That's like the East in the NBA right now with the Celtics, Bucks, uh, Philly, and, and then similar to the AFC, you've got those teams lurking that maybe they could make. The Chargers have some talent. They can't quite put it together. Jacks have talent. Gave the Chiefs a tough test, yada, yada, yada. I, I look at the East like that, like Cleveland. Yeah, they're, they're sticking around. The Cavs are dangerous. But, man, it is those three teams in both the AFC and the Eastern Conference right now.
1: I totally agree and when I'm looking also just by comparison to the West, I don't know if I get this same vibe in the NFC as I do the West by comparison, but there's teams where you can point to either, and this has nothing to do with this season. It, it happens and it's a hole that people fall into all the time. You can point to every one of these franchises and be like, oh, they haven't had a ton of playoff success the last 20 years. Why, why are right. they going to do it this year? Why is it going to be any different? Look at Sacramento clinching their first playoff berth in 17 years, the longest postseason drought I thought I read this right yesterday in uh, U.S. The, the United States' major sports. That was the longest yep. playoff drought was the Kings. To end that, and they suddenly look like a true contender. Obviously, when John ja Morant continues to get back in a swing with the Grizzlies, they're right there as a two-seed. And then uh, it feels like the last couple of years, the Nuggets have been knocking on the door, but have just been undercut either by the Suns or in the bubble. Whatever the case may be, this is a year where – I look at the West, and if you're a casual fan, it's easy to say "Uh, there's no real star power there outside of Ja and Jokic, and you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong if that was your take.
2: Yeah, we're going to get to uh, Rick Carlisle had some interesting quotes about uh, Ben Matherin. You heard that at the top of the show. Also, Anthony Richardson, will get into his pro day here, a couple of observations. I literally saw one of his receivers wearing a sports bra. Like that that was he had such a small shirt it was like a sports bra like that's a fashion statement i feel like Kyle Kuzma would look at that and be like wow that that's, that's <laughs> a little bold right there Brian though, and Jimmy Cook with you here 935 n1075 the fan i want to build off of what you just said though Jimmy cuz i like it i think that you can get caught up in what the recent history has been for certain franchises. If they fared well in the playoffs, you might be a little bit too high on them. If they haven't fared well at all, you might be a little bit too low on them. I'll cross over to the NFL for a second. Think about the Cincinnati Bengals two seasons ago. They hadn't won a playoff game in three decades, and we didn't think they were going to do much of anything. They were a whisker away from winning the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you sell a team short based on what other versions of that franchise have done. If you look at the Kings, they haven't done anything for a long time. That doesn't mean they're incapable of doing anything come playoff time. And I think the opposite of true is true. If you look at the Warriors, they've been sensational. I think the Warriors are going to have an early exit. I think they don't have any chance to get to the finals in the West. And I don't love all the competition, but the Warriors, they've told us time and time again all season they can't be trusted. I think they are the NBA's version of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where you have the name brand of Tom Brady, and you have really good talent, but they told us all year long – don't trust us come playoff time. And what did people do when the playoffs rolled around? They're like, we can't trust Dallas more than Tampa. And <laughs> one and done. I look at Golden State, very similar. A lot of talent, recent success. They're defending champions. They've told us time and time again, we can't win on the road. Kind of a big deal come playoff time. I don't think they have any chance to get to the finals.
1: I don't think they have a chance to get to the finals. 9-29 and 29 is enough to scare anybody away, even the most casual fan on the road. That's the road record this year. But I will say from a viewership standpoint and just an overall fascination of what a seven-game playoff series would look like, if the Warriors are able to hang on to the sixth spot where they're at right now, they got a game of cushion above the Timberwolves in the play-in race. They're the sixth seed right now. They wouldn't be a part of it. Kings, Warriors, sign me up. Oh, I would love a Kings Warriors first round series. I, I don't know how that would go. Um, I know the lean would probably be Kings because of A, all the struggles the Warriors have had on the road, mm-hmm. and B, the Kings have shown a larger body of work over the course of the season. But if you're a value better and you're leaning off, hey, maybe the playoff yeah. inexperience will creep in here, uh, you get a lot of value on Golden State if that's the series that ends up happening.
2: That is a great potential matchup because it's everything that I was just talking yep. about. Yep, You are... Sitting there, like it should be about this year and this year alone. But you know as well as I do, Jimmy, with the the Warriors and their pedigree and all their success and the Kings finally making the playoffs after a 16-year drought, people would be
1: racing to bet their whole bankroll on the Warriors. And that might not be the right play? No, it might not. And then you have the elephant in the room, a.k.a. my futures bet on the Phoenix Suns. I placed that the night of the Kevin Durant trade. I still have no idea how that's going to look here in a couple of weeks, but the West is at times with those bigger name players, you can find a massive question mark that is legitimate for the top three outside of the Grizzlies. It's like, okay, what does Ja look like as he's coming back? Like, is he able to return to form outside of the Grizzlies? You look at the Nuggets and the Kings, your question marks aren't rooted in what's happened this year. They're usually rooted in. They haven't really done it before. I I guess the Kings or the Nuggets were in the Western Conference Finals, I think a year or two ago. So they have a little bit more success in that regard. But all the question marks aren't based on this season. They're based on historical trends. And is the experience going to be a factor in a series against a team like Golden State or a team like Phoenix?
2: Should be a lot of fun. I would love to see at some point in the playoffs, maybe some uh, Grizzlies-Warriors, all the bad blood oh, yes. between those Please. two teams. Can you imagine if the Warriors get bounced by the Grizzlies? How lippy they're going
1: to be. <laughs> Draymond's oh podcast going to be something special oh. uh, the, the, the day after that or whatever that releases yeah. for sure.
2: All right, let's get to the Pacers and the Colts here, Jimmy. How about Rick Carlisle? He was talking about Ben Matherin last night, his post-game press conference. And Carlisle, he said a couple of things about in order to be a great two-way player, and he rattled off some great names like Jordan, Kobe, Giannis, rattled off a few guys. And his statements were interesting here. It was one of those where he was giving him credit, but if you read between the lines, you can tell it's like Carlisle is basically letting you know what he might not have done the greatest job of yet as a An emerging player, right? He said of Matherin, he said, the level of commitment that you have to make to be one of those great two-way players, the stamina, the attitude, the disposition, all those type of things, you have to be willing to be coached. I saw a lot of good things tonight, Carlisle said of Matherin. His alertness, his willingness and desire to share the ball and make the simple play. Right there, I'm not trying to turn a positive into a negative, Jimmy. And you might view it differently than me. But We've seen Matherin ride pine a little bit more than we thought he should at times during the season, and it traces back to some of these things that he's talking about, not willing to be coached, not willing to share the ball at times. So he's giving him props. He's saying it's pointed in the right direction, but you can tell that those have been stumbling blocks a little bit earlier in the season. Am I wrong about that? I don't think you're wrong,
1: but I will just because of you know having – had Rick Carlisle within the Pacers organization twice over his his lengthy and successful coaching career. I don't think, I can't think, I won't allow myself to believe it because that's a super negative aspect of Benedict Matherin for the entire offseason if it's fully what he meant by saying he doesn't want to be coached. Like, or, or or he's not coachable is how that can be spun. And I don't think he's necessarily no. saying that. No, I don't either. I, I think it how it should be interpreted is he's a first year player. He's a rookie. He's still trying to get the understanding of the type of not just preparation, but the level that is present at this state in the NBA. But if it's the other way, which I don't think it is, that would be massively concerning moving forward for my high level of optimism of what a Matherin, Tyrese Halliburton, Andrew Nemhard type of trio can look like for the Pacers in the years to come? Well, I think, I don't know the
2: best way to say it. It reminds me of, it's a random name, but Kayvon Thibodeau, okay? He was a top five pick, went to the New York Giants. And when we were around the same time last year, where we're doing like pro days and leading up to the draft, he had said something like, I don't need to watch tape. I already know everything about the game. <laughs> like, I, like I'm paraphrasing, but it was along those lines. And It was like, whoa, red flag. And I'm not saying this is the same thing with Matherin, but you will see it with some young players where they think they know more than they actually do. And there are some guys that have been around for a long time, like Rick Carlisle, that know certain things that a young player might not know and you're, it's almost like a parent saying to a kid, we can all relate to this as kids. We think we know everything. Yeah. And your parent is just like, um, "So I've been in this same situation many times before. Just take it from me. And as a kid, you're like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, <right."> you know. <laughs> and then you might learn the hard way. Yep. You know, there are a lot of young players that do that. So I don't think Matherin is just totally tuning out right. all things coaching. But I think Carlisle is saying, like a parent would at times, like, hey, I've been there. Here's something to look out for and as a kid sometimes you just tune that out. I think that's what he's referring to.
1: As do I and that's why it makes me optimistic when I see certain growth and improvement from Matherin as he has continued to be either A, a part of this starting lineup or B a part of this, I don't want to call it stretch run, but lineups to close the season where you're looking for areas plenty of film over the course of the year to build on to a point that by year two Matherin has those good habits, has that level of, I don't want to say dedication, but is more center focus of, you were right, Coach. I I needed to be locked in more on this. I need to be spending more time on that." that. I agree with you. That's kind of where I feel like he's coming from.
2: I still, you know, switching over to the Colts for a second, Jimmy, I can't believe pro days are still as big of a deal as they are. Anthony Richardson, is he's got his pro day at Florida right now. They're showing a little bit of it on Sports Center, and it is freaking packed. <laughs> we got Pete Carroll, we got coaching staffs, we got GMs, we got front office members, like we've got like representatives from teams that are well low in the draft. And, hey man, they might make a blockbuster play and move up. Like think about your Chiefs; they moved up from twenty-seven to ten yep. to get Patrick Mahomes. So I, I don't know. I I don't know. I don't understand why it's attended as um, as much as it is, because it, it's, in its essence, it's a, a top prospect throwing against air. <laughs> it, yeah. It's just yeah. wild to me it's attended the way that it is. And so many people put as much stock into it as they do.
1: Yeah, Eddie and I were joking about that off-air yesterday, the way that draft boards are at least reported to have moved after a pro day like Uh, so and so is flying up draft boards now it's like I mean okay that's great he did it in an empty complex with nobody guarding him but now he's evaluated higher than he was before I don't know I I think you have to take more the larger body of work of their college career than you do what they did solely in a pro day
3: also you have to remember that there are other players there That teams are looking at. They're not just solely there for Anthony Richardson. Correct. Now, it is worth noting the Colts are there, and it's Morocco Brown. He's the top of the top when it comes to the Colts scouting.
2: Yeah, you're right about that, Eddie. It depends. It's case by case. Some pro days, they might have top guys. Think about C.J. Stroud and the nine first-round potential wide receivers that he was probably <laughs> throwing to <laughs> his pro day. But, yeah, other, other places, like, no one was showing up to Kentucky's pro day looking at anybody besides Will the Thrill Levis, you know? Those guys could barely be all, like, AAC. They could barely be all, right. all conference in okay. the ACC over right. there with what Will Levis was surrounded
1: by. Okay, <laughs> okay. that's a little, little, little strong. <laughs> a little opening day strong there i i'm just saying I was, he wasn't surrounded by a who's who list over there that's
2: all but uh yeah hey listen it's funny because we hear a lot more pushback about the combine of you know you gotta re- rely on the tape which i agree with you're, you're throwing against air you're you know running and jumping and like the combine means way more than a pro day. Does it? A, a pro day, you're just like throwing. I, sometimes you're doing drills. I guess it's more like a, uh, you know, like an individual. It's like a uh, think about a, a band, right? Instead of playing an arena, it's like playing an intimate bar or something like yeah. that. Like that's kind of your pro day. But there's way more pushback about the combine than there is about pro days. It, it's just funny how it works like that.
1: And for me, my evaluation of it just strictly with quarterbacks. I view the same weight towards throwing at the combine versus throwing at your pro day. I really don't see a massive like increase in how I'm going to evaluate you, whether you choose to throw at one or the other or both. But the larger point that you and I always hit on, Brian, is as long as you do well at these pro days, which you should... We don't need to have all the pomp and circumstance about it. If you do bad, like if all of a sudden it looks like, oh, is there something wrong with his shoulder? Like, does he have a, like the tweak something last week bowling? I I don't know. I mean, like (laughs) anything like that. Like, yeah, that should be red flag city opportunity for a scouting department. But otherwise it shouldn't be uh, from fifth to first because he had a great pro day. By the way, are you a bowler, Jimmy? Uh no, very, very casually. No, very. Uh, like you know, if hey, let's let's go bowling with a group of friends once every like three years. Yeah, I'll do that. Are no, you no, a I'm bowler? Not, I'm not with a, a big bowler. Are you a do bowler? You, oh, I love bowling. Love bowling. I jacked up my elbow about,
2: like a, about a year ago. Or Hurt so. your draft I've, stock. I've been bowling in a long time. I love bowling. Do you, you use a hook over there, Jimmy? You go hook or just straight ball?
1: Like, uh yeah, just straight. He's a straight just
2: shooter. Straight. Yeah. yeah.
3: Eddie, you straight or hook? I'm a straight shooter. I can't straight. get the hook down. You
2: got, all you got to do is shake the hand. You know, like when you let the ball go, just act like you're shaking a hand. You know? You're holding the ball from below, and then you just kind of act like you're bringing your hand up to shake someone's hand. Boom. You got a hook. You know? And preferably... I don't want to go on a tangent over here. I could. <laughs> all right, Coach. But these bowling alleys. These these low-grade bowling alleys. I, don't, I can't imagine this is the case in Indianapolis over here because it's like the bowling heartland. You know what I mean? But... They go the cheap route. So when you have these, the old school bowling alleys, they used to have fingertips for like the, the middle finger and the ring finger, right? The, the two yeah, fingers yeah. you put in the ball. So, they'd have these plastic fingertips that help you hook the ball more. And what these cheap bowling alleys have done, they don't do that. They do like the cheap house bowling balls where, like, the the fingers are as big, like, like Shaq would use this bowling ball. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you can barely, like, you could fit three of your fingers in there. Like, and it it doesn't have like the plastic
1: uh, fingertips. You can't hook it as well. It's hard to hook these house balls these days. You know, they don't help you out. Would you feel like being able to make a description like that about the holes in a bowling ball and being able to understand what you just said would dictate how often you bowl? Because I think that, yeah, you you know where I'm at then in that regard.
2: Really? So you've never, like, it's basically like plastic. Instead of like a, a normal, like no plastic. You know, sure. Everybody's used that type of house ball before. Sure. Have you used them where it's like a lot smaller? Like it's... It's a tighter fit type thing, you know, and it's plastic. It's not, I have not or seen it's that. rubber. It's more like rubber, actually, I've, I should I've, say. I've
1: not seen that. So that shows you how much I bowl, I guess. Jimmy,
2: we're going to have to go bowling over here. Oh, man. You know? It'll be a fun time. Going to have to go bowling. I had a um, random fun story. Uh, I had a bowling ball that I left in my trunk of my car. I was working in Fresno, California. It was so hot. It, it cracked the bowling oh. ball all the way it was like 360 all like <laughs> the whole crack the whole like perimeter of the bowling ball right there. I was like can't use that anymore that's
1: you tough know? that's a, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's what extreme weather it comes for everything even bowling balls. so we gonna we'll, do we'll go bowling one of these days all right coming up
2: next this story shows you that although it seems bad for your team, most times, some other team has it worse. I'm Brian though He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-pa-pa-pa. And participate in McDonald's for a limited
4: time.
2: I'm Brian though, no. he's Jimmy Cook here on the fan. We got a lot to do today, man. Lots going on. Got some good guests as well. One o'clock, Seth Greenberg, two o'clock, Bruce Weber. Both will be around to talk. College hoops getting set for the final four. Scott Agnes at 2 30. We'll talk some pacers with him. Uh we got a lot to do beyond the guests here, Jimmy. Good lord. I'm just I don't know about you, but before shows, I'm like, do we have enough stuff? Is there enough good stuff? Is this gonna be good? And then, like, a segment in, I'm like, we're not going to fit in all this stuff like that. There's <laughs> so much to talk about here. Um, I, I want to get back to Anthony Richardson and the Ozzie Smith-like cartwheel into a, a, a backflip. Very nicely done. He is, he's really the, um, we always talk about this with, remember Alonzo Spellman? You might not, Jimmy, because... Old school like Chicago Bear, but went to Ohio State. Huge guy, just massive, like look like a Greek god. And we always talk about the first off the bus. You know, we normally don't talk about that with quarterbacks, but in terms of QBs, Anthony Richardson would be the first off the bus. He threw a seventy-four yard pass. He's doing a cartwheel into a back uh, a backflip. It's impressive what he did at the combine. His forty, his vertical, like, he's got all of that. We just We have to see him develop as a passer. Just that little detail of developing as a passer, that's all.
1: And I don't think it's – I mean, I I understand we're having fun, and we were having it in the break as well, bantering back and forth about Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. But, like, that is important. I'm not trying to downplay it. But if it can be done, I believe what the Colts – believe in Shane Steichen and I believe in this staff that if you were ever going to see a replicated ability for his accuracy to get up to where it needs to be in the pro game I believe it could be done in Indianapolis like if this selection happens it's not a big leap for me to talk myself into all the gifts that he has as an athlete and even though the accuracy has been pretty mediocre at times I think it can be fixed I do it, it might be it might be and peek behind the curtain.
2: These uh, these low lives over here named uh, Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison, they're just trolling poor Will the Thrill Levis. Poor Will you know, Levis. Yep. yeah. Yep. I, I was jokingly saying because uh, Eddie mentioned sometimes these front offices they go to pro days not just to look at the top quarterback prospect, but maybe to look at the wide receiver or the tight end or whatever. And I said, well, no one was there for, for that with uh, Will Levis's pro day. And I said in the break, maybe the XFL. Maybe the Canadian League. They were really high in attendance, the Canadian League, looking at uh, maybe a wide receiver or a tight end yeah. over there at Kentucky. And so those guys have just been saying all these nasty, vicious things about Will the Thrill Levis. Oh, you yeah, know? Nasty. yeah, nasty. Nasty. <laughs> Mean-spirited. Yes. Mean- spirited. Yes. Mean- yes.
3: Uh, Slanderous, malicious, all, the whole nine yards.
2: You guys should be sued. You guys should be sued. I'm thinking about recording what you say off the air and using it against you, maybe blackmail. Well, it's going
1: to have to be class action, particularly when you have different headlines, like Will Levis reportedly plummeting down draft boards and a really wild one here. Does anybody actually like Will Levis? It's an actual headline (laughs) if you search his name. So uh, we're we're in a class action situation if you're coming after us, my friend. That's fine. And uh, what I heard (laughs) when you were rattling off
2: that headline, you know, I could hear -ah meh I can hear sheep.
1: That's the
2: sound of a sheep headline just following the herd. So it's fashionable, that, right now. Is that what now. you hear
3: when you go to bed? Is like you count the sheep as they go to sleep. So You hear it, every time.
2: I don't. <laughs> One, I don't. But, but the, uh, will the thrill slander over here? It is. It is sheep following sheep. You know, it's the trendy thing to do to just follow the flock and say that this guy isn't going to be good and this guy is this and that and mad mat mat It's the safe play. I feel it's like the safe play, right? I feel
1: like you're also, though, being the like polar opposite of that, which is the distancing oneself, throwing a nickname that I've never heard referenced with Will Levis through any of this process, giving him the thrill right off the bat. I I feel like that, that maybe we are both being too extreme in regards to how we are evaluating uh, the gentleman from Kentucky.
2: Well, it's, uh, it's more so just to, to To remember it. If anything, I did, I borrowed it slash stole it. And we have repackaged nicknames from time to time, but will the thrill Clark remember the, baseball player of san francisco giants and all of that Uh, so it's been used before but uh it's more so just so you remember the name remember the freaking name over here now i want to get to this jimmy because kyrie irving said something last night after dallas lost again and it made me think of the pacers okay so dallas lost they've lost eight of their last 11 games since kyrie irving has joined the team kyrie and luca when they take the court as teammates They've lost 14 of 20 games. When they're on the court together, it's insane how bad it's been for Dallas. They're 11th in the West. They're one game behind the Thunder for the final play-in spot. They're fighting for 10th so they can try to fight their way into the playoff. It's a bad spot that they're in. And I started thinking about this as it relates to the Pacers. Okay, which is worse? If the Pacers did the same thing as the Mavs, they trade for a top player, there's excitement, no results. Or if the Pacers never traded for that top player in the first place, which do you think is worse?
1: For me, it's not taking the chance. I'd rather have a big swing and have that level of optimism and it just blow up and totally tank than I would, let's say, they don't make the move and they get bounced. This is a simulated a couple years down the line. Let's say they get bounced in like the second round of the playoffs. You're like, man, had they added this piece, there was all those rumors, the deadline that happened. Imagine where we'd be. I'd rather take the swing and, and have it blow up in my face.
2: I'm with you. And listen, both these options stink. There's no doubt about that. But yeah, I would rather take the swing. Hope it works out. If it doesn't, sure, it's disappointing. But I'd rather be that than one of these teams that just... That plays it safe, ah, it's a little risky, Oh, we couldn't pull off this trade, or free agency. I, I think it's similar with if you could sign a big-time free agent. There are some of these smaller market teams, they just have a harder time getting the big-name free agents. Portland, you could rattle off a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you could land that guy, and you think he's going to make a difference, and unfortunately it doesn't work out, I think that's better than never landing that player in the first place.
1: It is so hard in professional sports. It really is to develop a true championship roster that you know is ready to win now or is ready to be a perennial contender or whatever the case may be. And when you have that perfect roster construction and all of a sudden you have an opportunity to make it better and roll the dice and take it to a level where perhaps you're untouchable or perhaps you are just a a true threat and a top seed in your conference. Yeah, I'm, I'm making that swing it weighs the Sunday, no doubt I, about it. I think it also depends on who you're swinging for, sure, and what right? you're giving up. Like that, that yeah. matters to me a little bit too. We're not talking about specifics in this hypothetical, but right, yeah. If you told me in general, yeah, 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 just generally but speaking. Think about specifically Kyrie Irving.
2: When are these teams going to learn? Like, 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 let's look at the tail of the tape, the bullet point resume for Kyrie Irving. Okay, he won a, a championship with the Cavs. Thanks mostly to LeBron James. He did hit that huge three against the Warriors in Game 7. We give him credit for that. So he wasn't just totally riding the coattails, but mostly. Okay? So he leaves the Cavs. Uh, Boston's a disaster. Right? Like, he's calling out the young players, and then he leaves, and Boston's way better without Kyrie Irving. He goes to Brooklyn, freaking disaster. He's not there for most of the season because he won't get the shot. I know a lot of people have heart, like, strong feelings about that, but beyond the shot season, he's out of the lineup all the time. He's missing games. He's the furthest thing from accountable. He asks for a trade, Bro- blows Brooklyn up, right? And now he's with Dallas. What is Dallas thinking? They've sunk like a rock. They were in 4th place before they picked him up. Now they're in 11th. Like I know he's super talented. He's a disaster
1: in terms of a teammate though. Yeah, I mean it's it's to a point where you can't really defend it, right? Like like take take all of his wild comments and take everything else out of it and just look at the player for just a second and and what he brings to the table to a franchise even prior To the move to Brooklyn, or not to move to Brooklyn, the move to Dallas when they dealt him. Even prior to that, I had optimism for the Mavs. It's like, okay, you know what? You let Jalen Brunson walk, and I know they're different players, but at least what was reported nationally, that's the reason they made that move because they had this massive absence where they needed another dynamic playmaking guard and they had the opportunity to sign Jalen Brunson, they let him walk, didn't want to pay that money, and they bring in this luxury, sometimes loose cannon, I don't want to go as far to say locker room cancer, because I I don't like that word, but that's what he's perceived as by a lot of people, and it didn't work out. But when they made the move, I thought me and Eddie had a conversation when it happened. This is going to work. Like they're going to be, uh, maybe clear the play in, and, and they could be a really fun postseason team that could make a title push. And it just didn't happen.
3: I don't know what Eddie you were talking to, but I didn't say that.
1: No, no, you disagreed with me. Oh. You were talking about it, but you disagreed <laughs> with me. I apologize. Oh. That I left that nugget out.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. I disagreed <laughs> with Jimmy because you got Kyrie Irving, but you gave up Dorian Finney Smith sure. and Spencer Dinwiddie. Two guys who you know hung their hat on the defensive end for that Mavericks team. And now look at that Mavs team. They don't want to play defense. Luka has no admiration of playing defense. Kyrie doesn't. They have no wings. And if you're in the West, you need wings.
2: Right. Well, I just think that there are a lot of things similar between Kyrie Irving and Aaron Rodgers. Where they are tremendously talented players. And they've been productive. They've been outstanding in their respective sports. Aaron Rodgers is a four-time MVP, you know? But it's more than just being a talent. It's like, how good are you at leading how good are you at bringing a team together and those guys have been way more divisive and destructive than like rallying like look at last season for Aaron Rodgers again very talented he didn't go there for offseason workouts they lost Devontae Adams they have all these young guys he's not there and then he's calling them out during the season you got to catch the ball you got to run the right routes like he is incredibly talented but that dude is the furthest thing from a good leader. And that's the main reason why he's
1: won one ring. That's the truth. I'm not willing to lump those two together for a number of different reasons because there are plenty of yeah buts that a Rodgers defender or that Rogers can hang his hat on that Kyrie cannot. First and foremost is, and you just look at the evidence from the last 10 drafts that the Packers have had. They have not done anything to support that man in terms of offensive weapons. He had it's, Devontae it's, Adams, they, the best receiver in the game for many years. And, and and they got capped where they were supposed to... Like You're right. They did not ascend enough with Devontae Adams. However, everybody made a big deal when... They traded Devontae Adams to the Raiders, and all of a sudden, oh, Derek Carr, and Devontae Adams, this thing's going to be beautiful, and it didn't work there either. So, like, I. You, know, you I, know
2: what's different? I'll say this, Jimmy. You know what's different is these guys, there are a lot of similarities. Of course, you could look at the differences, but they're not identical people. You know, they're going to be differences, but there are a lot of striking similarities. And what's interesting is that. There, maybe now so, because Aaron Rodgers, the act is getting old. You hear more critical things. But over the years, it's been the opposite. It has just been drooling over Aaron Rodgers. This guy, the most talented quarterback, blah, blah, blah. Like roses, roses, roses. It, it, like Aaron Rodgers has gotten way more benefit of the doubt than Kyrie Irving has. And I think Aaron Rodgers is way more similar to Kyrie Irving in leaving things to be desired in terms of being a leader. And he just doesn't have his feet held to the same fire.
1: I've never felt like, outside of, and it's a big part of it, outside of the trade demands that have happened over the last three seasons, which... Whether that is him not being a good leader, or whether that is true frustration with the franchise not helping him, I've never once over the prior 15 years of his career thought that guy does not care about his team. That guy is not at the forefront, the poster child. That guy is not a leader of the Packers. I've never felt that way about Aaron Rodgers prior to these last two seasons where you could argue the Packers caused it more than he did.
2: I've always felt that Kyrie Irving and Aaron Rodgers are both me guys. It's me over the team. Th- that's what they are.
1: That's exactly what I they're. felt that way about Kyrie. I, I just, I, I, really haven't up until the last three seasons felt that we'll, way about him. Well, you're a late
2: bloomer. It's okay. No, but even then, like, <laughs> I don't blame it
1: on him. I blame it on the Packers. I do.
2: Uh, yeah, hey, man. Both don't get a wide receiver. Go get talented. Jordan Love, you know? That's all I'm saying is talent, it's awesome, but it's not everything. And a lot of times we make it out to be that sure. way. Sure. Like Aaron Rodgers and Kyrie Irving are good examples. It's It's more than just talent is what I'm saying. All right, got to get to this coming up next. Uh, we've got, a uh, must have been a weird feeling for this guy last night. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And McDonald's for a limited time.
2: Might be at the top of my list as a snack: apples with peanut butter on the individual slices.
1: You, Jimmy, I have nothing against apples and peanut, but I usually go straight apple. I've never, I always forget to branch out and, and, and get a little bit of creativity to balance with the apple. So. I can't say it's a go to, but man, nothing wrong with it. it sounds delicious. I was,
2: I was just indulging over here. It's was tremendous. You know, Brian, knowing Jimmy Cook with you here, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. I'm going to get to, uh, had to be a weird feeling last night, but in the break, there was a, a commercial with Ryan Newman, former NASCAR driver. And I was telling you guys, um, I went to high school with Ryan Newman. Shout out LaSalle Lions, class of 96. And, um, he went on. He had a really good uh, NASCAR career. The main reason that I would follow the sport it was because of my guy Ryan Newman. And I told you, uh, I thought he was going to kill me on a snowmobile one time in South Bend, Indiana. And you're like, "What? Well, what happened?" I was like, "I'll tell you on the air." <laughs> <laughs> so we we're like, whenever I went snowmobiling, so one of my buddies, Jeff Freeman. Uh, What we would do, I had a snowmobile for like a year, for like a winter. I don't know how it happened. It just did. And uh, as a kid, what we would do, we would try to like throw the guy off of the snowmobile. It's South Bend. There's not a lot to do. You know, don't judge us. (laughs) But like I'd be driving and like like, Jeff would like hug me and I would just try to like go crazy and he would fly off the back. Same thing, vice versa. So when I went with Ryan Newman, I just I went and I, I just hugged him. And he's like, oh, because he had a mask on. And I'm like, what is he talking about? There was like a strap you could hold on to. Kind of like you're like riding a bucking bronco or something like that, you yeah. know? So I hold on to this, sh- this strap, and he goes, you ready? And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> And this dude, I'm not even joking. It felt like he floored it, and he's just spinning. He's, like, turning hard right, hard left. I'm like, I'm going to (laughs) die. I I literally – I was freaked out to the point that – my lips were touching the helmet. That, that's what <laughs> happened. I remember like my mouth, I'm like, oh my gosh! And, and my lips were touching the helmet. And then I figured out that I was going to be able to stay on. I wasn't going to die. And then it was really fun when I figured that out. But yeah, shout out to Ryan Newman. There was another time where we were snowmobiling. We were going in trails and I couldn't keep up. And I fell off my snowmobile and bam, right on my tailbone. Oh. And that, that was... That hurts, man. Like these guys you see in basketball, Jimmy, where they fall right to the court, Mm. and you're like, oh, that doesn't feel good. I know from firsthand snowmobiling experience, hitting the hard snow right on your booty, not
1: fun. (laughs) <laughs> Does that mean that you're not uh if offered going on any ride-alongs with with oh, Ryan Newman, Snowmobile, no, or otherwise? I'm in? Okay, absolutely good. Right, in. Good. Yeah, I've healed Jimmy, you <laughs> <The> know. <metal> <laughs> <hater>. <laughs>
2: I've healed. I'm ready for round two. Faster! Yeah. So I was thinking about this last night with Jordan Wara, now with the Pacers facing his former team. They had to be a bit of a weird feeling, didn't it? Right? Like he spent the better part of three seasons with the Bucks He's now with the Pacers. And you look at the Bucks; They're first in the East. They got a legitimate shot to get to the finals, win a championship. Got to be weird. And I know his role is bigger now, so it's a balancing act. He's getting more minutes. He's scoring more points. Like, he's getting a bigger opportunity, which is good. But it has to be a little bit of seeing your ex just prosper. Doesn't it? Right? Like if you go against your former team and they hang one forty nine on you, and you're seeing Giannis, you're seeing Drew Holiday score fifty one. I, I if I'm in those shoes, I don't know what Jordan Warr is thinking, but it's a passing thought of man, I was running
1: with that squad this season, and now things are a lot different. It's very easy, and I, I can't sit here and tell you I wouldn't feel the same way. I will say, unlike, you know, the X situation that we bring up, there wasn't really a breakup on his part as much as it was. like it wasn't his choice to leave necessarily, right? Sure. He's dealt in a trade. So you can look there longingly, but if anything, it's more like, all right. That's what they're doing right now. This is where we're going to be here in two three years. I want to be a part of this and building that in Indiana. But, what? yeah, there's a, it, it crosses your mind at some point. It has to. And if they win the title, he still gets a ring. There you go. Yeah. I guess two perspectives, because you
2: could look at it to take it a step further. It's like your ex dumped you Yeah. and is now flourishing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's a weird spot to be, or you could look at it and say, "Well, the Pacers really wanted me, you know," and that's probably the way you would look at it. But I sw- you you would have to have a passing thought of, you know, all those guys you were there for three seasons, the better part of three seasons, and uh, it's got to be a at least I don't know the right word, a bittersweet, uh, like a conflicted feeling of where you are right now with the Pacers, where you were with the Bucks, I just thought about that with Jordan Wara last night.
1: Yeah, totally agree. It has to cross your mind in some capacity. I will say, though, it kind of ease, ease the pain a bit, if Jordan War has any, they weren't – it's not like they got better or astronomically better because they got rid of him, right? Like, it's not like yeah. he was what was holding the back by any means. But it, it's still – it's hard not to look over, I agree with you, and be like, yeah, man, I – could be still a part of that right now but increased role they want you pacers want you and another season to build on next year
2: i'm always interested by that with some of these players they might be on really bad teams and maybe they get bought out and they end up in a really good situation it's like wow you went from you know top five draft odds to title contender (laughs) And, and sometimes it's the opposite right like it was the opposite for Jordan Wore. He went from title contender to a Pacers team that right now is trying to get within the top 5 of draft odds. Like it, it can go like that for you. It's wild how it goes.
1: And, and and most of the time, not always, but most of the time when it happens in those buyout situations, you're on the backside of your career or you're in like your your late late 20s. Jordan Wore up still 24, still very much in his infancy of his NBA playing career and you got to, at least at some point after you have that quick look, be like, you know what? Sky is limit for me right now. I have an increased role here. I have an opportunity yeah. to get better and and be a better player for it.
2: No doubt. No doubt. All right. Coming up next, Seth Greenberg, ESPN College basketball analyst. Quick timeout. Very quick. Back with Seth right after this. I'm Brian, though. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5. The fan.
4: learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you so long live singing to the oldies jamming out to something new and everything in between
2: i'm brian no he's jimmy cook here on the fan I want to welcome in seth greenberg espn college basketball analyst here to break down all the Final Four goodies over here. You know, I, I'm going to be one of these jerk hosts here, Seth, that asks you a couple of non-basketball questions. Don't you hate it when those guys do that? But I was just uh, mentioning um, so I apples. I don't have
5: to answer them. I don't have to answer them. So <laughs> That's sense. right. You just <laughs> say you next question to, if you, you want to. Stupid question. I'm going to say whatever <laughs> I want anyway.
2: So so <laughs> Seth, I was just eating um, apples with peanut butter. Top-notch snack. I'm just curious. If you satisfy my curiosity, I expect you even more. What is the uh, the favorite snack, the go to for you, sir?
5: First of all, I got—I got to be honest with you. You guys called called me to try to talk about the Final Four, and you want to know about what that you know snack I eat? Uh huh. Whatever's in front, whatever's in front of me. <laughs> I I've, I've never been a big peanut butter and uh, and apple guy, so I can tell you that much. You know, I'm more of a sourdough pretzel guy and a diet coke. I'll
2: be fine. There you go. That sounds uh, lovely right there, Coach. I, I like that. Uh, um, and-, and also, the last non-basketball question for me. It's MLB opening day. Are-, are you a baseball fan at all, Seth? Yeah, he is. Yeah, there's only one team
5: that plays baseball. Mm-hmm. The New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. All the rest just kind of hang out.
1: That's how I was going to uh, pivot. Coach, happy opening day to you and diving into the Final Four conversation. A lot of hype. Probably deservedly so about the UConn Huskies coaches. You've watched them throughout the tournament, as you've watched them all year. Why is a reason they they won't win the Natty this weekend or on Monday rather?
5: I say UConn. Uh, uh, Tristan Newton spits it all over the place, and they they put they get real physical with Jordan Hawkins running them off all those screens they set for him, and they do a great job of running Hawkins off of all kinds of screens. Uh, I'd say that, and then maybe, maybe uh, probably the last thing is either Wong or, or Nigel Pack or Jordan Miller, just get it going. But uh, Teaser said and done. I was over at UConn's practice the other day, and, and they they have a good focus. Jordan knows he's got to compete offensively as well, which is really important, because that's what you have to do when you get one of the best players on the floor. But Tristan Newton, in their losses, they average only about seven points a game, shooting like 20% from the three, and uh, not turning it over way too much. So uh, I think Tristan Newton, the teams that have beaten him, got underneath him, pressured him, disrupted him, and which disrupted disrupted the rhythm of the offense.
2: When you look at the two Final Four matchups, Seth, what do you feel most confident uh, that will happen on Saturday evening?
5: Well, I mean, probably most confident I mind mean, Miami's going to try to control the tempo of the game in that game and, and not allow you know Connecticut to get out of the transition. The other game, I, I'm most confident that about five times in that game against San Diego State that FAU's going to get a rebound by one of the six, four guys they have. He's going to push it. They're going to swing it. And San Diego State will not be matched up. And some dude's going to shoot a wide-open three because they are hard to match up with because your foreman is not used to either stopping the ball or trying to figure out where his guy is because he might be on the left side one time, he might be in the slot one time, he might be on the right side one time. You, It, it is hard to get matched up with FAU in transition.
1: Coach, we've talked about a lot the last couple of months regarding NIL, its impact on college basketball, the Wild Wild West that's at play for pretty much every program in the country. When you look at Miami and you look at the influence of John Ruiz and you look at an ACC team that that wasn't necessarily picked to be in this situation six months ago, how aggressive, if at all, do you think other Power Five conferences or other Blue Bud schools are going to take their NIL even further than they did before after seeing what Miami was able to mesh together or will have no impact on it whatsoever?
5: Jimmy, can you do me a favor? Yes, sir. Can you not call it NIL and just call it pay for play?
1: <laughs> I can do that for you. No problem. Pay for play. Uh, I,
5: I, because it's not NIL. There's not a return on investment. Yeah. yeah, this guy's gotten publicity because he's been so uh, brash in terms of his approach. I mean, telling Isaiah, well, i don't cut a deal with you. If you don't like it, you know what? I'll go get someone else. I mean, to me, that's embarrassing, to be honest with you. But everyone, Miami's not alone. Miami just got the right guys. Yeah. I mean, they're not the only guys that are getting four hundred thousand a year. Like those dudes down in Bloomington are getting about four hundred thousand a year also, and they're not playing, and, they- and they're not playing in the final. They're
1: not. You're right.
0: So,
5: so it's not like Miami's the only one. Uh, the problem is every single guy. Like I just talked to a coach I'm not from mention school. Like his whole team wants to go in, in the in the portal. It's not his team. It really comes down to the, see the. We have these agents that are pseudo agents, agent wannabes that are trying to get 20% off of the NIL deals. So they're telling all these guys and they're shopping all these kids all over the country, right? When really they're doing it for themselves. They don't have unconditional love for those guys. They're just trying to monetize those guys. Like where the coaches that recruited them who helped develop them, they actually have unconditional love for those guys. So like, they're going to shop those guys around. And you know what? It's like an NBA trade. You always know what you get rid of. You never know what you get. And so you might get paid for next year using this past season as, as, as the conduit. Here's the deal. You're going to play for a new coach in a new system with new players. There's no guarantee you're going to be that dude again. So, you know, the NILs here stay free agency is ridiculous because I, I don't see NFL having free agency every year. I don't see I don't see the NBA having free agency every year. Uh, I don't see hockey having free agency every year. But oh college athletics, we have free agency every year. That makes a lot of sense.
2: Seth Greenberg, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, joining us here. How would you have handled this current era if you were coaching right now with NIL slash pay-for-play and free agency every year?
5: I would, uh, depending on what level I was at, to be honest with you, I I would try to keep my locker room together by getting everyone the same deal and then if someone can get above that on their own, so be it. I would not be afraid to coach my teams. Too many guys. I, I sat with uh, an athletic director last night for dinner, who said, "You know, you got to find a balance between you know coaching your guys hard, but you know making sure that they don't leave." Mm-hmm. If you can't coach your guys hard, and they don't want to be coached hard, and they want to be coached. They're not helping you win anyway. Yeah. So I wouldn't do. A, I wouldn't do a lot different. I'd coach them, and you know, I'd say at the end of the year, you know what? Some of you guys work, are, you know, are in a good situation. We'd love to have you back. Some of you aren't, you know. I'll help you any way I can. Uh, you know it, it's real simple if you don't coach your team if you're afraid to coach your team you' you're you're cheating the kid that's playing for you. Go and coach your team and hold them to a standard and have an, you know not empower them but don't enable them. and then you know what at the end of the at the end of the year, if they feel like it's not the right place and I'd also my pretense is if you help guys get better. I would basically sit and see, like, hey, by the way, you came here. You got a whole lot better. You see the year you had? You want to risk that? someplace you don't know if they're going to do the things that we do. That's how I would handle it.
1: The coach, Seth Greenberg, ESPN College basketball analyst. Nice enough to join us. You can follow him on Twitter, at Seth on Hoops. Seth, this FAU story and this ride for Dusty May, how special is it? And how do you like their matchup against San Diego State on Saturday evening?
5: Right now, I'm leaning towards FAU winning this game. Uh, you can't hit what you can't catch. We saw it in the Tennessee game. Uh, I talked to all the coaches that have played against these guys. You know, the hardest thing about playing against FAU is that defensive transition and then beating them to balls off the glass because there's going to be a lot of threes taken. There are they? almost 33s a game, and when those threes are taken – you got to you got to come back and rebound the ball. You got to chase down balls. They're, they're getting them out of quickness. Their defensive pressure has been better in the tournament than it's been all season. Uh, can they continue to defend with a purpose? And then those two, you know, those two bigs are, are pretty good. You know, Vadoslav Golden was a, was a joke. He was like, you know, he was like you get Vadoslav Jokic. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the other day, I mean, he was really really good. And 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 the big kid is good too. Uh, uh, Rosado. I mean, he's good. So, I mean, uh, I think they're for real. I think that has done a great job of playing a little bit differently. They got a little bit of the feel of a VCU uh, in a way uh, because of you know they're, 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 it's more havoc offensively because how quickly they they bring it at you and you have to get matched up with them.
2: So, I, I think I think I I have them winning. You know, Seth, I I could change my mind. (laughs) We still got a couple of days, you know, you could change it, no problem. I'm curious how you would handle it as a coach where you mentioned three-point shooting and the amount of attempts. Some teams shoot it a lot. If It's just not your night, right? Like, how do you balance this is what we do, this is our identity, versus we're cold as ice, we can't nail a three to save our lives, let's shoot more mid-range. How do you go about that for a team that shoots a lot of threes?
5: You are your habits. You're not going to reinvent yourself for the for the NCAA tournament coming to the Final Four. You are yeah. your habits now. Obviously, you know, try to get – how how are you getting those threes? If you're not shooting a high percentage, it, it might be how you're getting those threes. Are you getting them on paid you Are you getting them on ball reversal? Are you getting them in transition? Are you getting them post-ups with the balls kicked out? Are stepping threes? Are they good threes? Or are they – you know, we're just going to get a 30 threes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think that's – I think that's a, that's a big thing, and then you know, obviously you want to get to the free throw line. You know, you want to you know you want to get ahead of defense. So I mean, those those things are a factor as well. But uh, no, I, th- I think a big thing is you know you're not going to reinvent yourself for the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament is all about imposing your identity on the game.
1: Coach, we're all basketball junkies here, so we're gonna be watching regardless. But there's a lot of talk, and and I don't care about it because I'm gonna watch it anyway, but there's a lot of talk about oh, this Final Four, the ratings are probably gonna be down, or people won't be interested as much. And maybe Yukon's the only saving grace in that because they're the only blue blood or you know, kind of blue blood program in terms of championship success of the four alive. If it is an FAU Miami national championship game, why should fans still be interested and excited about that matchup should that come to fruition for Monday night?
5: You want a, a championships crowd. But, you know, I mean, to, let's face it, the first week of the NCAA tournament is the greatest week yep. in sport. Yep. From Selection Sunday to the end of the first week, it's great. But well, you got two teams trying to win a championship. But here's the deal. The casual fan will not watch it. It's the way it is. The casual fan will, you know, why do more people watch a golf tournament with Tigers? Yep,
2: yep, Yeah. Yep. yeah.
5: Still, it's the way it is. But the basketball fan will watch it. And uh, I think that's kind of because the one thing about the NCAA tournament, it's not best of seven. So, you know, you've got to impose your identity and you've got to play well to win. If you don't play well, if you take it for granted, winning's hard. And the teams that advance, people forget like, this is an FAU team that is 35 and three. You don't think those dudes expect to win? Sure. <laughs> like You it's don't a... think those guys expect to win? I missed mean, 35-3. and three.
2: I mean... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Seth, when you look in the uh, the crystal ball over here, what do you see in the Final Four? What do you see as a potential championship matchup slash champion here?
5: Oh, I, 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 well, I my lean is probably... FAU and UConn, and you know, I, you know, my gut feeling is it's going to be UConn.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: I mean, UConn is the deepest team. They're the uh, they be offensively defensively from the three in the paint on the glass. They've got depth. They they don't rely on ball screens. They rely on people and ball movement, which is really really important. Uh, you know, I, I just think that they're the most complete team, and it doesn't mean they 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 can't lose. Like
1: Coach, what's your favorite, just personally, what's your favorite story snack? about this snack, Final I, Four? No, not, not, not snack, snack. Not, not okay. Snack. Story, what, go with what, Story. What's your favorite storyline from this particular Final Four set? <laughs>
5: you know, I, I think just the storyline in general is it's got to be FAU. I mean, it's, you know, it's that's not enough. But I think like you look at UConn, they lost 6-8 in the middle of the season. And the season's long, you can't play it. with the static around kids today, you can't play at a very high level. They won their first thirteen and then they, they lost six, eight, got in the league play. You' can lose games in league play. So I think that's a that's a really good storyline. I love the Brian Duncher storyline. I think he's a mm-hmm. coach's you know coach's son. i'm I'm all for coaches' sons. I think that's great. and then you got you know Jim Laranega, who uh, the grandfather of them all uh so i mean there's great there's great storylines in this in this Mm -hmm. tournament i mean it really is
2: yeah no doubt well hey Seth, we really appreciate your time today man fun to talk to you and hope you enjoy the final four go yanks coach
5: well i'm just i'm just happy that i i got a chance to share my my culinary expertise (laughs)
1: sourdough pretzels and diet Diet coke that's strong it's a winning
0: combination
2: It doesn't get much better than that. It's strong, Coach. <laughs> Absolutely strong. We'll catch you later, Seth. Appreciate it, Coach. All right, brother. You got it, bro. See you. There he is, Seth Greenberg, ESPN College Basketball Analyst. I love that. This dude, he's a hoops head. Yep. And he's like, why, why? Wait, we're talking about – he loves the Yankees. He said like five words about the Yanks. Yep. He's like, oh, let's talk Final Four over here. He's Can you ready to go. bring me on to talk
1: snacks or, or hoops. It, 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 co- coach is is ready to go. He's got that fire <laughs> underneath him. He, this is there, there's not a ton of games to want to get to it and get brass tacks. That's why I love him. That's why I'm I'm as hyped as as he is for this Final Four on Saturday. And again, if you're listening and you are a casual basketball fan. I can't guarantee that it's going to be buzzer beater madness. I can't guarantee there might not be some ugly basketball involved, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be electric. I'm not a paid sponsor of Turner Sports. I'm just saying, if you love basketball, you're going to have a great time. And if you don't, and you think it's going to be bad, place some action on the game. 1-800-9 with it if you have a gambling problem and have some fun.
2: I just think, listen, there are a lot of people that say they love hoops and then won't watch the Final Four? It's tough. It's a tough
1: look. <laughs> how?
2: how I, I love basketball, man. I'm going to watch the NBA playoffs like crazy. I, of course I'm going to watch the NCAA tournament. I'll watch the Final Four. It could be, like, we're talking about brand recognition. You could give me worse brand names than what we have right now. I'd still watch. I don't care who's in it. It's the Final Four. Like, what are you doing? It's a Saturday evening. These games take two hours. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's a movie. Yeah, by the exactly. time you drive to it, see it, <laughs> drive back. Like, dude, watch back to back Final Four action. If you're a hoops fan, if not, I don't want to hear that you're a hoops fan.
1: And agreed. And if you're of the party that you know you were one to have a a good time on a Saturday night, that game's going to be over by ten thirty, ten forty five. You you could still have nightlife and, and and be involved in the college basketball atmosphere for the Final Four.
2: Yeah, and what's interesting too is what Seth said outside of sourdough pretzels and Diet Coke, which is. A good combination, right there. I would have to say. Do you think I'm it's not...
1: Snyder's of Hanover, like the like the the, the pre-made like I big don't know pretzels? I don't know. Like Jimmy, there are a lot of follow-up questions.
2: I know we that I felt have time were I highly inappropriate. Yeah. You know, I yeah. feel like he would have <laughs> lashed out at us. <laughs> Do any follow-ups? But yeah, I had about nineteen follow-ups to that. By the way, thumbs down on all things diet. I mean, if you're drinking it, great. If it's health reasons, fantastic. But just taste-wise, awful. So awful. I'd rather be punched in the face than drink
1: anything diet. So I've made the pivot over the last two years to Coke Zero. You, you've lost respect for me now. That's that's, that's no.
2: I have, I don't lose respect
1: for you or anybody drinking diet. You're just diet. not doing it. You're just not. I'm doing just it. not doing it. Fair enough. At all. Fair Can't
2: enough. Can't like if they're like, well, it'll it'll add like five more years onto your life. I'm like, I don't need those five years. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather die happy five years it. earlier. I love it. That's that's just me. But what Seth said about the best story. And he said, well, it's got to be Florida Atlantic, right? With Dusty May. And they come really out of nowhere as a nine seed to get to the final four. And I agree with that. And what's interesting to me, Jimmy, is the best story won't draw great ratings. Yeah, I know. that's It's just so weird to me how you can say those two things and they both make sense. I, I just, I'm baffled by the best story won't draw ratings. It's insane to me, but that's the reality.
1: And... The best ratings possible right now in terms of best story versus a Goliath per se, in terms of their legacy, would be UConn FAU. But for me to have two phenomenal, insanely special stories, it's an all Florida national championship game. Jim Laranaga, 17 years ago, taking George Mason there, the opportunity to be on the doorstep of winning a national championship and having the crowning achievement of his career versus Dusty Meg, the former manager at IU that has had this long path to to get to FAU. And and at times it was pondering when he got there, if he made the right decision and building it up from the ground up, that would be the best storyline, feel good angle across the board. But if that is what we get, Yeah, the casual fan, regrettably, they're missing out, probably isn't going to watch it. And that'd be an offensive slugfest if that's what it was. Oh, it'd be insane if it was Miami and FAU in the title game.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That'd be a lot of fun. And it might be the matchup. But I also think that because it's David versus David, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) these aren't established programs. San Diego State's first trip to the Final Four. Florida Atlantic's first trip to the Final Four. If it's Florida Atlantic versus Duke, you know, Kentucky, uh, North Carolina, something like that brand name, I think he got something there. But a lot of people tune out when it's David versus David. The sad thing about that is, Jimmy, a lot of it, it's this misperception of, well, it was this crazy tournament. Anything went. And here we are with this matchup. It's like. San Diego State beat Alabama, the number one overall seed in the tournament. Miami beat Houston, who was a one seed. Yukon beat Gonzaga, who a lot of people thought might win it all. And Florida Atlantic, they beat a three seed in Kansas State and a four seed in Tennessee. Like all these teams have beaten quality squads. Miami beat a one, a two, and a four yep. en route to the final four. So It's a misperception of, oh, well, you know, the one seeds got bounced early and the two seeds. And it's like, well, the teams in the final four did a lot of the bouncing. You know what I'm saying? Like that should that should matter when you're uh, I, I would I would guard against dismissing the final four teams just because the ones and the twos are out. You know, they lost at the hands of some of these teams in the final four.
1: And to build off of that, three of the four teams, their Elite Eight matchups, there were moments where they were either down, and it looked like uh, this is curtains for them, and they picked themselves up off the mat and end up pulling out the win and cutting down the nets in their respective regional. That's FAU, that's San Diego State, and that's Miami. Some greater comebacks than others, but if you happen to be a live bet fan like I am, very profitable all across the board in those Elite Eight games. There you go. You know what? Make a buck. All right. You don't have to be excited, but
2: throw some coin on this. You'll you'll get excited, guaranteed. But a couple of the things as far as numbers, Jimmy, it's like what I was saying if it's brand name versus David. So last year in the Elite Eight, it was North Carolina and St. Peter's. Okay. Yep. So you've got David versus Goliath. This year, when it was Miami versus Texas, those are not brand names in college basketball, right? Uh, 11 million people tuned in for that game, but viewership was down 17% year after year over year. Like it, it was up 17% last year when it was North Carolina and, and St. Peter's
1: 17%. That's a lot. <laughs> like that's a
2: big difference.
1: And it just, it breaks my heart a little bit Yeah, just because I don't know. I, I love this tournament. I love March Madness. I mean, I mean, it, nothing dominates the news cycle like the NFL does, but if you're as invested in just every action or every angle you can about March Madness, you're tuning in regardless of the brand name because there's either an upset possibility or there's a great story or maybe your bracket somehow survived all the one seeds getting uh, duked before the Elite Eight.
2: (laughs) That's the weird part, too, is... uh, And it's not to talk trash about the tournament. I love the tournament. But if you compare it to the Super Bowl... It really doesn't matter who would be in the Super Bowl. The ratings aren't going to fall off a cliff. You know what I mean? Like, right. They're not going to be down 17% year over year. And you could pick no-name teams in terms of not having history or brand recognition, it's not going to fall off that drastically. That's the only
1: sport in my mind where that works. I feel like every right. other sport you hear about it, like when you had uh, was, it, was it Kansas City in San Francisco? Is that the one everybody's making a big deal in the MLB that ratings were going to be down for it because it? Yeah, yeah, Kansas City in San Francisco, or, or if you have like a. a I and mean, people talk about it for years, like the Spurs' early years oh, yeah, of, yeah. of them winning championships. They were Spurs, not rating monsters. Yeah no, yeah, no, not not at all whatsoever. NFL, oh, it'd remember, be hard to point to it and say you're going to see a 17% drop.
2: Remember early 2000s when the Nets snuck in there? Yes, yes, yep. Was that Spurs' Nets? I can't remember. You had, had
1: Lakers' Nets. Or if it was Lakers' Nets. I think it was Lakers' Nets. Maybe they Show made Nets. it back
2: to back. Did they make it an 02 and 03? Goodness, I'm. I'm my NBA history you is had, failing. You me. had
1: you had Sixers, Lakers in 01. I think it was Lakers, Nets in 02. So it was oh, I'm I'm doing this
2: off memory. So two thousand, I shouldn't <laughs> I should use Google. Uh, two thousand was because the Lakers won two thousand o one and 02. Yeah. Two thousand was Lakers, Pacers. Yeah, ninety nine two thousand was Lakers. I got a funny Pacers. story about that for you, real quick. And, and then they want they swept them. Well, uh, sorry, uh, two thousand was who did they sweep in two thousand?
1: Do the Lakers sweep in the finals? Yeah. I thought the Pacers got a game. Did they not get a game? No, the no, Pacers got up? two games. Like, they beat the Pacers in six, they right. beat the,
2: the 76ers in five. Yes. And then the, I think they they swept, swept the Nets. Nets.
1: I think they swept the Nets. Let me double check that, but I believe so.
2: Uh, so, I, when the, the Lakers and Pacers played, um, so I was driving out to LA with a friend of mine. Okay, so the story was Jimmy, he was staying there for the summer with his sister, and I was going to be there for a week. I was going to scout it out and see if that's where I wanted to move to right after college at Ball State. Okay, Okay. So we're driving from South Bend all all the way to L.A. So we pulled over to watch, I don't know which game it was, of the Lakers and Pacers in the finals. We pulled over, we watched this game, I don't know, game five, game six, whatever it was. And we stop at this random place. I don't know where we were. Maybe like Albuquerque, New Mexico. Just in the middle of nowhere. We pull over, go to the sports bar, watch this game. And I can't remember who it was. It might have been Reggie Miller. But somebody had a nice move in the game. This whole bar, at the same time, in unison, we go, nice. (laughs) I just thought it was hilarious. Awesome. Like we're just, men are like robots yep. sometimes. You know, we yep. have the same thoughts, same mannerisms, same actions, all that. We had the same reaction with that move in that Pacers-Lakers game.
1: To your point, uh, Lakers-Nets, Lakers swept them, and then you were right. The following year in 03, 03. Spurs-Nets, Spurs and oh, six.
2: Gosh, that was like the Kerry Kittles-Nets squad and... Ugh. I watched the finals almost every year. I didn't see much of that Spurs Nets series. Did
1: you? Do you remember? I, it? I, I have a vivid memory of being at my kitchen table seeing David Robinson celebrate winning it all, like in in Game Six. <laughs> I I just, we, we had like a little baby TV in the kitchen, and I I, I have a vivid memory of that. Uh, but outside of that, no, I couldn't tell you that I watched every game of that series. No.
2: Okay, coming up next, Jimmy. Wow, we have um, uh, the. The Sacramento Kings getting to the playoffs. There's a tie in with the Indianapolis Colts and also a separate tie in. I might make your head spin here, Jimmy. You might yell at me. You might think this is a hot take and I'm just touching nerves over here. I truly believe this. I did some crack research before the show and I uncovered the most underrated season in the history of the NFL. That's on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
0: I'm Brian. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participating in McDonald's for a
4: limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love. Hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: No, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So I was thinking about this, Jimmy, with the Sacramento Kings, they clinched a playoff berth. A 16-year playoff drought is over. It's the first time they've clinched a playoff spot since 2006. And like you said earlier in the show, it's the longest drought in any of the major sports. It's not just the NBA, it's MLB the NHL, the NFL, like no team has had a longer drought than the Sacramento Kings. It's over with. And the thing that I thought of is that sometimes when you go through the down times with your team, it, it seems worse than it is like compared to other teams. Like more times than not, someone's going to have it worse than you. Not all the time, but more times than not, that's the case. And so I just started thinking about, How many times have the Pacers been to the playoffs within that 16-year window? I went back and looked nine times. Assuming they don't make the playoffs this year, which is I'm counting this year as well. They made it nine times over the last 16 seasons. So you start thinking about that. Kings hadn't made it once. Pacers made it nine times. They got bounced in the first round six times. But they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals twice. And one of those years, it was a game seven against LeBron and Miami Heat, you know? So you're losing to a team that's getting to the finals. And I think one of those two years won it all. So I I don't know, man. It's just one of those deals where when you're in the midst of it, when you're thinking about the Kings right now making a major trade with the Pacers, Kings make it to the playoffs... Pacers are, you know, seventh right now with the worst record in basketball. But I think the trade benefited both teams. And really, it's more of a positive thing where even though you're in the midst of, what, a third straight season not making the playoffs,
1: imagine 13 more. Like, that's yeah. what the Kings just did. It It's so funny when you go franchise to franchise and see where luck breaks and where it doesn't. And it's easy You are not saying this, to be clear. But it's easy to point and be like, well, look, people were talking about how the Pacers actually won this trade in some capacity. Look at the Kings. They have some bonus now. Mm -hmm. uh, Kings, at least in terms of roster construction, at least in terms of pieces, that could go win now a little bit further along, at least in my mind when that trade happened, than where the Pacers were. Mm -hmm. just in terms of overall roster construction. But even if you don't want to go that route and say, no, I don't agree with that. They were only at an over-under of, I think, 37.5 wins from the books to start the season. It is just a a true testament to what Sacramento was able to build and how Sabonis has flourished out there. On the flip side, Pacers fans are knocking on the door and it's easy to get frustrated and be like, oh, why did we trade away Sabonis? Because you saw what Sabonis and Turner and this roster looked like year over year over year. There was never a path with that construction of we're going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals or we're going to be a top two or top three seed in our conference. You're on the other side of the coin now. You have a nice young core. Continue to build and... God, don't let it be. Don't let it be sixteen years. I don't think they're on that pace necessarily, but uh, that's a dangerous water to get into and an easy headspace to get into. If you're a fan, you look at three straight missed seasons without the playoffs.
2: It's just it seems so much longer than it actually is. Yeah, it's sort of like being a sports fan, three years without the playoffs feels really, really long. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you it doesn't. It's just funny. It's like uh, it's almost like looking for a job. If, if you're out of work for, I don't know, say six months, it feels like a year and a half yeah. minimum. Yep. You know, it, it works like that as a sports fan. Three years without the playoffs feels really, really long. Imagine what 16 years feels like. If you're a diehard Sacramento Kings fan, put yourself in those shoes as a Pacers fan. 13 more years, that is a long, long haul. So it just, it sometimes seems worse than it actually is. I also think about this with the Colts. Look at their quarterback situation. It feels like a long time since they had a true franchise quarterback, difference maker, you know? But if you look at those four years after Andrew Luck, two of them were really good statistically. Like Philip Rivers, you could do a whole lot worse than yeah. Phil did his year. And also Carson Wentz, you could do a whole lot worse than 27 touchdowns and 7 picks.
1: And the problem in a Colts fan's headspace, and this was a criticism that Frank Isola threw at us and threw at Colts fans last week, which is that they were essentially thought that they were on the precipice of this whole 30 year window of two great quarterbacks, like what the Packers had with Rodgers and with Favre. You bookend Manning and luck, luck retires early. Now you're having to scramble and now you're in this playing field of unknown for a large generation of Colts fans that Maybe you're a little used to it now, four seasons in, but there are some adult Colts fans, a lot of adult Colts fans, that don't know anything other than Manning, Luck, and just right absolute continuity at the most important position in the game. Well, I certainly get that, where if you've tasted the good life, <laughs> you know what you're used to, yeah. like
2: premium steak houses and caviar and all that stuff. You're used to Five-star that.
1: hotels, the whole line. Yep, yeah,
2: yep. and now you're like, what is happening? <laughs> I'm staying at a shack right now. <laughs> I, I not even know what a motel was until now. But, yeah, it seems way worse than it actually is. I think there's something to be said for that. It's just going back to the original thought of more times than not, someone has it way worse than you. If you think about the Colts' struggles at quarterback, it hasn't been great, but – It's not even half a decade. If you compare that to the Cleveland Browns, you might want to add another two decades on top of these last four years, and you might rival something that looks like the Cleveland Browns and their dysfunctional (laughs) quarterback situation. It has been beyond awful over there. And and we'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson. But, I mean, if you just rattle off some of these names here, Jimmy, this is after Bernie Kozar. Just listen to some of these names. Mike Tomczak. These are all... Player, the quarterbacks who led the team in passing yards that year, okay? They led the team. Mike Tomczak, Vinny Testaverde, Kelly Holcomb, right? Uh, Charlie Fry, Brady Quinn, shout out Irish, didn't yeah. work out in the NFL. Uh, Brandon Whedon, uh, Josh McCown, Cody Kessler, Deshaun Kaiser, Jacoby Brissett, like those are guys who led the team in passing for an entire season, and they just had one guy after another, so... Four years is not a long dry spell compared to other teams.
1: Yeah, anytime you have two McCowns that top into your quarterback rotation over the course of a dry spell of looking for a franchise quarterback, you're definitely kings of having it worse. The problem with this perfectly rational and reasonable discussion that you and I are having right now is that uh-huh. it doesn't work for the sports fan. Like, oh, there's other things in life where, like, hey, you know, I know you're maybe not happy with where your job is right now, but, like, look at where you were before. Look at where you could have been, or, or look at that guy over there in the stri- he's going through, it's easier outside of sports because sports fans, and I know it, I've lived it, you know it, Eddie knows it, we're irrational human beings sometimes. It's like, okay, that's great, but what about me? What about what, about what I'm going through? I don't care about what they're going through. It, oh, it, hey, it's hey, Listen.
2: I absolutely understand that. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, sometimes all I'm saying is sometimes you could feel like the heavens are falling more than they actually are. That's really all I'm saying. I totally agree. Now, here's the thing. I might take a hard left turn on you, Jimmy. Like we've been I feel like we've been compadres this segment. It's almost like, you know. My arm is around your shoulder. Your arm is around my shoulder as we're getting in for a group photo, that type of thing. Yeah, like I'm it's just, just been,
3: taking the photo, I guess. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, you can add in here, Eddie. You're taking the photo. You're you're joining in, but this is where this is where you might you know might result in uh, verbal fisticuffs here. But I truly believe this. While I was doing this deep dive and looking at quarterback situations and how it's been much worse for other teams than the Colts, I, I just. I went back to the year Wentz was with the Colts. And I just, again, I looked at his numbers. And I compared it to a couple of quarterbacks last season. Carson Wentz in 2021, comparable to Trevor Lawrence of the Jags last year. Statistically, very comparable. Like Passer rating, very close. Wentz was uh, 94.6. Trevor Lawrence last year, 95.2. Very similar. Wentz actually threw two more touchdown passes, one fewer interception. Lawrence had more passing yards, better completion percentage, but pretty, pretty close, pretty close. And I just stopped, and I thought for a second. Two quarterbacks in the same division, and Carson Wentz, the amount of flack that guy got, it was unbelievable. And what did you hear last year with Trevor Lawrence? Man, this guy's really turning a corner. Wow, look at him. He's really... Really starting to flourish over here. Look, Doug Peterson got a real head coach, and look at him go. And It was positive, positive, positive. And their numbers, very, very similar statistically. And I just want to say this, Jimmy. Carson Wentz, his one year with the Indianapolis Colts, is the most underrated season in the freaking history of the nfl i'm not telling you he walked on water i'm not saying that but all you heard was oh this guy threw for x amount of yards per game it sucked oh but remember the titans game and he did throw a pick six and that was embarrassing but it was one thing after another no credit he had Michael Pittman Jr. and what? And what did he have out there? And he gave you 27 touchdowns and seven picks, and they couldn't run that guy out of town fast enough. Most underrated season ever, ever is what I truly believe.
1: Look, I, I you can let stats tell whatever story you'd like. I mean, that that, that that's point A, point B, and I'm I'm so <laughs> and it's not your fault. It's just because Colts fans are so tired of hearing it of uh-huh. about about these great numbers that he put up. And was it wasn't all his fault. No, it was not all his fault, just like it wasn't any of the quarterbacks that they've had over these last four or five years, solely their fault. There are certain flaws offensively that I'm willing to bend the knee on and say, you know what, maybe he didn't, maybe he got too much hate. I'm not going to say he didn't get enough credit, maybe he got too much hate while he was here. However, unlike the Trevor Lawrence comparison you just Mm -hmm. brought up, Mm -hmm. you have seen now Countless seasons of tape of, okay, here's some nice stats, but what was he looking at with that throw? Did he not see the linebacker in the middle of the field? Like You have enough body of work where there's a reason. Like We can't have this conversation about Levis, right, because it's not a fair one for him. For Carson Wentz, there's a reason nobody is jumping anymore to try to bring him on their roster, and there's a reason that the Colts, after kind of – getting fleeced to an extent by the Eagles to bring him in, sent him off like damaged goods because they wanted nothing to do with him, and the commanders cut him a season later. It's over for him. It's done. I'm just talking about
2: 2021. That's it. I'm not talking about Carson Wentz last year. I'm not talking about Carson Wentz going forward. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about one season and you're trying to muddy the waters. You are Jimmy Muddy Waters cook over here. Like, I'll give you another one.
6: What's
1: the accomplishment? 27 and seven? Like, I need to be happy for him that he had that year? That's way
2: better than he was ever given credit for. I'll give you another comparison. Look at Justin Herbert last year. Chargers quarterback. Wentz, in the 21 season, higher passer rating, more touchdown passes, fewer interceptions. Like, he had a better passer rating than Justin Herbert last year. Look at the weapons Justin Herbert had last season. He's got Austin Eckler out of the backfield. He had 107 catches. He's got Keenan Allen. He's got Mike Williams. He's got a decent tight end in Gerald Everett. He's got real weapons. Carson Wentz had Michael Pittman Jr. And all I hear is trash being talked It's insane. I'm not telling you he was sensational. I'm telling you he's way better that season, that one season than he's ever gotten credit for. It's amazing to me. It turns into oh, you can make the stats tell whatever story. No, you can't. It yes, wasn't can. all in garbage
1: time. You, I, no, mean, I mean, I mean, you you can you can factually manipulate. I'm not saying you're doing this, but you can like that's not an opinion. You can manipulate numbers to say any story you want to. You can find a stat on just about anything. I'm not saying you're doing that here, but you can. The other point though is that. When you go back, and I'm not doing it because uh-huh. I, I've burnt my soul enough and Colts fans have too, Rewatching Uh-oh. the travesty that was snap after snap <laughs> with that guy under center that season. Were snap the numbers a- great? The did he have a couple of nice throws? Snap. Sure. He threw 27 to- touchdowns. That's this great. This is what I'm talking was a, Wait, wait, wait. A
2: it was a travesty snap after snap, and somehow he ended up in the middle in between all those travesties, 27 the touchdowns. The feelings I've bits.
1: had about Carson Wentz even in that season <laughs> Has never like you compare the Herbert situation like maybe his passer rating was better. I've never had such mind numbing frustration towards any of the other quarterbacks you listed except Carson Wentz. I haven't. Maybe that means I don't like him. I don't know. I mean, I've heard him do interviews. He seems like a nice guy, but I've I've never had the same type of annoyance and frustration from a quarterback that we've talked about in this segment other than Carson Wentz. I haven't. Oh, this man, man was
5: a bona fide scrub. He can't
2: play. <laughs> <laughs> Most underrated season ever. Now, now here's the thing. Let's just end it on this, because yes, uh, like let's use Blake Bortles. Remember when Blake Bortles threw for 35 touchdown passes, and yeah. that season they were awful. A lot of that was in garbage time. Okay, if that's the same situation with Carson Wentz from the 2021 season, okay, but that wasn't the case. And so when I hear you can make the stats tell any story you want, I, I can't like, manipulate 27 touchdowns in seven picks. Like, I'll give you an example. Where's a, a quarterback that didn't have a great uh, touchdown to INT? Uh, I'll pick um, uh, Russell Wilson. Okay, Russell Wilson last year, sixteen touchdowns, eleven interceptions. I can't manipulate those numbers into saying, "Well, hey, Russ threw twenty-seven touchdowns and seven picks." Like you can't manipulate the numbers themselves, right? So when you have twenty-seven and seven, all that didn't come in garbage time. Okay, it, it's as, as if he he did everything, every little yard, every little touchdown, every little good thing was somehow in garbage time, and it was just a travesty, snap to snap otherwise it,
1: it they took a step back from where they were the year before without <laughs> much turnover on the roster like i mean that's like, not that, again, that that's, he pays the price for everything but he did like that i'm that's not That's the truth. They took a step back. They missed the playoffs, and they didn't have that drastic of roster turnover when Rivers was there compared to Wentz. Final
3: final eight games of the year, he had 10 touchdowns to four interceptions, six of the eight games under 200 yards. You can't sit there and tell me (laughs) that they lost or won games because of that. You cannot win in the National Football League without throwing for over 200 And he yards. got
1: outplayed by Trevor Lawrence last game of the year. I'm
2: telling you, that twenty-seven and seven, the way you guys talk to talk about it, is as if he threw seven and twenty-seven. It, it's that, like, it, you're because that's the, the only sticking around. point. It's to
3: the as to the that you can positively take away. Oh, it's you as guys, overly
1: inflated as the Blake Bortles numbers. You, it really, you guys. Is. Oh no, it that's not even close. It, it, you guys are it, it, making it has the same my vibe argument to for me the whole year. Me. Oh, you guys are outrageous! And Bortles outrageous. made it to an AFC Championship game. I mean, not that year, not that season, but I yeah. mean over the course of his body of work, you know. Like you needed God, him okay. to lead your
3: team down to win a game against the Las Vegas Raiders. You take an L. He can't generate enough offense in the final game of the year against the team <laughs> who has no admiration
1: in winning. Never forgive him for that. If I'm twenty six to eleven,
3: ever. most
1: Zero underrated excuse. season in the history <laughs> oh. of the league, and you guys are proving
3: my. You point. had me
1: and tell that line, by the way. That's I was true. willing to come it's on board truth. and tell the of all time. Most
3: underrated season. They didn't even make the playoffs. Uh, it doesn't he matter. Looked, he looked. Yes, it does.
2: No, it does. You can still have a completely underrated season even without making the playoffs. He
1: looked like every criticism that's ever been thrown his way against that Jaguars game week seventeen. And you'll it's, never it's take that game. Out it's, it's one game. It's Did one. Did the defense show up? It's one to get to the playoffs. I need you as my quarterback to be he there for the me. And he was he the only guy not, who screwed up He, that was, game. Not. he no, was not. He was not the only one. What did Jonathan Taylor do that game exactly? Which game are we what did the of? defense the do that game? The last game of the year. Nothing. Where, where, where early on you had a back-breaking Carson Wentz pick and you knew, here we go, they're not going to be able to do it. It was that game. I'll never yeah. forgive him for it if I'm a Colts fan.
3: Ever. Taylor had 15 for 77. He averaged five yards a Whoa. carry.
2: Wow, 77 yards. That is, man, what a day. I take it all back.
1: (laughs) Five yards of carry, pretty nice. Five and a half, excuse me. Don't want to disrespect him. Poor Jonathan Taylor.
2: I take it all back. Jonathan Taylor, he rushed for 204 touchdowns over there. Man, all right, we got to pay some bills, and we got a quiz right around the corner. We might have time for one of the the five questions. Uh, It's Brian, though, and Jimmy, the Carson Wentz 2021 hater, wear Talk. that proudly put it on a t-shirt uh, 93.5 5, the fan
0: <laughs> I'm Brian raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide have something sweet in her honor come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the grandma McFlurry today ba da ba 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 Participating McDonald's for a limited time
4: life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: No, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I'll tell you what. I, Jimmy might make less sense off the air than on the air. I don't know. I, it's a tale of the tape here, Jay Cook. This Carson Wentz knockdown dragout. We, we'll we'll circle back to that in the next hour. We got some college hoops on tap as well. Bruce Weber will join us, Big 10 Network college basketball analyst. Also Scott Agnes At 2.30, talking some Pacers. We'll have some time for the quiz at the end of the show. And me to maybe badger Jimmy (laughs) with with, Wentz. Maybe we'll work in Carson Wentz's 2021 season while talking to Bruce Weber about college hoops. I don't know, but Bruce Weber coming up right around the corner. Hang with us. Brian No and Jimmy Cook with you. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
0: I'm Brian No.
4: Learn more about Cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: It's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Bruce Weber. Big Ted Network college basketball analyst here to talk some Final Four. Coach, I was just informed from an inside source. You have stepped out of a restaurant to talk to us. We really appreciate that. And I'm just curious, what are you dining on right now? Oh, I'm in Texas. I'm at Houston. And so we just had good Mexican
6: at Irma's in Texas. It's big time.
2: What's the, uh, what's the go-to Mexican dish for you?
6: Oh, I, I love the enchiladas. If I can get that, it's it, that's a special treat. I have a daughter in Dallas, and anytime we go to Dallas, we're going to all the Mexican every night.
2: By the way, Coach, uh, it just made me think. I used to do a show in uh, the Portland area, and we would have on Utah head football coach Kyle Winningham from time to time. And this is a true story. It was a running thing on the show. He loves Mexican food. It's his, his favorite out of everything. So uh, maybe you and Coach Kyle Whittingham of the Utah Utes have <laughs> something in common there.
6: Yeah, I just... I mean, I, it's just, there's one thing that you get your your regular restaurants or your chain restaurants, and then you get the authentic. It's always good.
1: There. Coach, what's this week like for, for former coaches and, and, and current coaches perhaps maybe aren't involved within the big dance itself, but are being a part of this celebration of the college hoop season uh, throughout this weekend in Houston?
6: Well, these are, this is our convention. Obviously, we have our National Association of Basketball Coaches, NABC. And, um, we have our meetings and clinics and, you know, just a lot of variety of things. And and it's kind of up to you. You can come and, and you know, have fun and, and, you know, just see people. Or you can actually go and, um, you know, go to meetings and, and hopefully get better as a coach. So it's, it's a little different. Obviously, when you're young, it's... It, so much excitement. I still remember my first one in Seattle um, years and years ago. And, and, you know, you just in awe of being part of that. And, um, you know, and then as you get a little older, probably, you know, you got staying up as late and not having as quite as much fun. There's a lot going on, you know, and there's, but there's nothing like it when you bring a team here. And I had the good fortune, uh, the one time at Illinois to be part of it. And it's just, uh, Amazing, amazing
2: experience. It's a little bit like, uh, I don't know, I would imagine what it's like getting ready for a Super Bowl, if it's your first Super Bowl appearance and what the week is like leading up to it and the lessons you learn should you make it again. Like The lessons you learned from that Final Four trip, what might you have done differently the next time you would have gone?
6: Well, you know, I, it's ironic that you bring that up because one of the things I did do, to, did do um, on that Sunday, I I called uh, Jim Calhoun, I called Rick Majeris I called uh, different coaches I knew that had been there, and just asked for their help and their suggestions. And um, you know, it, you know, and they just you know, one the big thing they told me: make sure your kids enjoy it because it's you know, they you know, one of them told me I think that they had. You know, the one time they went they went and hid their kids out and didn't let them enjoy the experience and then mm. the kids got you know, got through it and they lost and then it's like, Oh my goodness, we didn't even let them you know, and then others say you got it. it's that fine line and I, I I talked to Nigel Pack the other day, our little guard from you know, that played for us at Kansas State and obviously he's with Miami and I just said it's so important that you keep your focus on the task of and that's winning the game and getting to the championship and you know it can be overwhelming it's just there's so much attention there's uh the nca does an unbelievable job the banquets the the media you know all the stuff but you got you have to make sure that you keep your focus on the game and the task and but at the end i told them I hope your coach lets you enjoy it at the same time. And and that's why the maturity of the players in the you know in the locker room is so so important. And they're you know you see it sometimes their teams just get their butts kicked in the in the final four and they you know they it's that final four I don't know what you'd call it they just got overwhelmed by being there and they weren't ready for it.
1: Coach, how different is that process of preparing for the Final 4 with that that week off that you have between the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 to the Final 4 by comparison to that week off you have between the first and second round of the Sweet 16?
6: Well, it's it's interesting because every week and I talked about this on a couple to a couple other people last week, each week you the attention gets more and more. You know, you went from, you know, 68 teams and you got a little piece of that attention then you get down to 16 teams and you get more of the attention and now it's four so you're getting you know everybody in the country um it, it's so much different and 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 again you can be overwhelmed you you want to do some of the media but and the ncaa does a great job of organizing that but at the same time you can't do every radio station you can't do every you know, everyone that wants to talk to you. And, and you know, that's where your sports information guys and, and your administrators got to help you with some of that. And, you know, making sure, again, that you're focused on the game and the task at hand.
2: He's Bruce Weber, Big Ten Network college basketball analyst, joining us here on the fan. I'm so glad you mentioned Nigel Pack because he went to high school here in the Indianapolis area, and we had the pleasure of interviewing him on this show the day before his 29-point game against Houston. And with you having your experience with him at Kansas State, what would you say about Nigel Pack, the player, the person, and your experiences with the guy?
6: Well, he's an unbelievable you know, person, a great kid, a uh, great, great family. Uh, you know, just can't say enough about Nigel and his family, just really good people. And, you know, it's such a, a cool experience for me to coach him. Obviously he had the huge year for us. He had a good freshman year and then he even got better last year and, and huge games. And, you know, just, I, I feel sad that I didn't get to coach him for all four years, but you know, it, the year has been a little, little bit up and down for him. He's had some really nice moments, and they have such a talented team. Uh, he didn't get quite the looks, but obviously he got a chance to have a shining moment last week and was really, really proud of him and him making uh, actually our two guards. Both were the players, regional players of the, you know, of the Sweet 16 or Elite 8 or whatever you call it and uh, Marquise Noel and and Nigel so that was that was pretty cool for us
1: coach Bruce Weber nice enough to take some time with us in driveheber.com studios coach speaking of great people uh, one of our favorite names here in the state of Indiana and one of the great names in college basketball right now is Purdue head coach Matt Painter I know that Purdue means a lot to you on your coaching path uh, just wondering have you talked to coach since the loss to Fairleigh Dickinson by chance um,
6: I think three or four times, <laughs> to be honest. And, you know, obviously I, you know, co- recruited Matt, coached him. Uh, he was my assistant for five years. And, and, you know, we had, you know, we, you know, we're, we're good friends. And, and, um, you know, it, you, as a coach and, a and as a friend, you always want to be there for them. Everybody has somebody they need to talk to and, um, you know, I, I text them the night of, and, and then a, a day later talk to him, and and I've talked to him a couple times since, and you know, it's it, it's it's a killer. It's hard, you know, for him, and um, you know, I think one of the biggest things, you know, people say, oh, how do you deal with all the, you know, the media's, you know, attention, the stress, all that. I I think it to me it always was, and I think for Matt too, it's your own your own pressure that you put on yourself because. You put so much time into it. It means so much to you. Your players mean so much. And and that's when it's heartbreaking when you don't, you know, have the success that you, you you had hoped or anticipated. But he did an unbelievable job. I told him this, you know, the first thing. I said, you know, please do not kill yourself because you lost that game because you, you did an unbelievable job. You overachieved. You got so much out of those guys. I mean, think about Zach. Were how far he came from a year ago. You're two playing two freshman guards now. Should they lose a Fairleigh Dickinson? No, but that is the the craziness of March Madness and and the pain. You know the the March Madness brings a lot of, of joy, but it also brings a lot of pain. And the sad part, he had to experience that pain this year. And but I hope um, I saw it with Tony Bennett with Virginia. Um, you know Tony had that. Tough loss to a 16, and guess what happened? The next year they won the championship. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping sometimes you got to go through growing pains to get there, and I hope that happens with Matt and his group.
2: You know, Bruce, I'm so curious how you go about communicating with players that you no longer coach right now for one reason or the other. Nigel Pack transferred. Um, like You're no longer at Kansas State, but Marquise Noel is doing his thing. So I know you have relationships with players, and you might have some communication, but how do, how do you describe the line of like not coaching them out of respect to their current coach? Right. And, and just talking about talking to them as guys that you love and that you used to coach.
6: Yeah. I, you know, I obviously, uh, you know, Marquise being at Kansas state and me coming from there and him still there, I tried to keep my distance, you know, a lot of, you know, some encouraging Texas, congratulations, Texas, all that type of stuff. And, and people around him, you know, stayed in contact because I didn't want to get in the middle of, you know, anything that he was doing or their coaches were doing. Uh, obviously, Nigel's a little different than all the other guys that we coached. They're at different schools and, um, you know, tried to watch games when I could when when he was playing and, and stayed in touch with his uh, parents. and you know, more, you know, when he's, if he's having a, t- a tough day or a tough week, you know, encouraging and, and, you know, get, say, get back in that gym and get work on your game and all that stuff. And, uh, but yeah, I, I stayed in contact with pretty much all our guys and, you know, some more than others, cause they, you were a little closer or they are more apt to communicate. And, um, I mean, that goes, you know, that's, part of our job and what i loved and why i got into coaching is you know i got guys that go back 40 some years and we're still talking to purdue guys from back in the 80s i had lunch with one the other day did a zoom with uh, uh russell cross and steve reed and greg eifert and jim rowinski a few weeks ago that was great to connect and my siu guys they Honored our Sweet 16 team uh, at a game about a month ago, so you know those are all, you know, those are great special experiences. Those guys are so appreciative, you know, to continue cheering for their schools, and they have great pride in, you know, what they did and accomplished through those their their careers
1: coach Bruce Weber taking some time with us coach I'm going to make you put on the analyst hat here for a second enjoyed having you on Big Ten Network throughout the season but the, the biggest talking point continues now 23 years straight without a national title in the conference do you have thoughts as, as to why that is is why the Big Ten's had such a hard time the last two decades breaking through
6: well you know I think there's a combination of reasons um, you know I, I you know it's, it's interesting I I think there's uh the leagues that you know and I was had the chance to be in the big 12 and and I, I talked to, with Matt Painter and some other coaches in the league um, the defenses are different in some of the other leagues uh you know the I think the athleticism uh, may be a little different uh there's no doubt the Geographic uh, recruiting regions—it's uh, changed in the Midwest. You, you know, you're you're if you're in Michigan, you're Tom Izzo or Jawan Howard, uh, the Flint. Uh, you know, the great years where Flint had players in Detroit, and that those population base have changed. If you're in Illinois, what like I was, um, you, it, it's changed. You know, Peoria and Springfield and some of those other communities. And even Chicago doesn't produce the, the talent that was there. So, And where are those people now? They're in Texas. They're in the population bases in Texas and Florida and the South have grown so much. So I think you have, you know, so if you recruit your region, your ge- geographic region, you probably don't have quite the, um, you know, number of players that you're recruiting. So I think a little bit of that, uh, you know, and, and some of it's just good fortune and luck. and um, you know Michigan state I thought really had it you know, the great game of Kansas and, you know replays and uh, you know goes overtime they don't win but if they win that I think they're beaten probably beaten uh florida atlantic and they're probably in the final four so you
5: know but you, you
6: hope over a course of time that uh, the ball's going to bounce their way <laughs> obviously I I I didn't Purdue and Indiana, I thought, had great chances. You know, I I didn't know Final Four, but I thought they could advance in the tournament, and a lot of that is just matchups. And uh, Obviously, Indiana ran into a a tough Miami team, and Purdue had the the pain and suffering of dealing with their their game.
2: Hey, Bruce, um, last one for you. When you look at the Final Four and you look at the matchups, who do you like on Saturday? And also, which team of the four do you think – presents the the most problems if you're coaching another team going up against them
6: and I mainly watched the Big Ten you know as a you're sitting in the hotel or something when I'm in Chicago and watch a few games and I got a chance to watch Miami more because of Nigel but uh, just watching this last few weeks I like UConn and yeah. you know I, I didn't know enough about obviously they hit a tough stretch and, in, in, during the year, they started out really well, and then had a little bit of a tough. But they, man, they're playing well. They, they run good stuff. Um, they move the basketball. Um, they seem to have some, you know, athleticism and some size. Um, I really like them. But you know, it, it, they would be the one I think is the toughest. Each one has a, you know, Miami has some talent. They can make plays. Uh, and, and they have guys that can make plays at the end of the game, multiple guys that can, you know, including Nigel and um, Long, and, you know, they have several guys. And then San Diego State, uh, you know, Brian Dutcher and Steve Fisher, they brought the Midwest Big Ten toughness out west, and they guard. They are tough. And, you know, they, they defend. they physical. They're physical. Um, so that gives them a chance. And, and then, you know, the Cinderella story, obviously, FAU is just amazing. I, I, You know, I thought, ah, the first weekend. But then they came through the second weekend. Uh, they got to have a pretty good team. They are older, and they do guard, and they do have some tough ones.
2: Well, Bruce, really appreciate the time, man. We'll let you get back to the enchiladas. We hope they're not <laughs> cold now. That would be awful. <laughs>
6: Uh, it's okay. I appreciate. It. Great to be on, and hopefully, an exciting weekend of basketball. Thanks, coach.
2: absolutely, Bruce. Thanks for the time, man. All right, take care. Thanks, Spike. You too. There he is, Bruce Weber, Big Ten Network college basketball analyst. A lot of fun, man. I always enjoyed watching Bruce coach. You know, high energy, passionate. So that was good. Same thing in an interview. <laughs>
1: yeah, he, he, he brought it, and, and again, it's, it's coaching styles and coaching personality. Again, I, I, I enjoy them both equally, but, but Seth was more dukes up, down to business, which is was what I like about him, but I also enjoy every now and again a, a good laugh over, over what type of uh, local eats that you're having uh, in Houston. So, uh, so it, it just it, it is it's the coaching philosophies and just the, the personalities for sure.
2: I could picture if Seth Greenberg – we're at a Houston uh, restaurant, and I said, Coach, thanks for stepping out, man. What are you eating right now? Enchiladas. What do you care?
1: No, 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 no. <laughs> hey, no, no. I'll, I'll, go to bat. I'll go to bat for the coach there, particularly, particularly if you know him before. He, even if you don't, know, he'd be like, Oh, my guy. That's my guy. That's that's Brian note right there. My guy. What, are you what are you do you have? What do you have? You have some nachos. What do you, you got? That's, uh-huh. that's Seth Greenberg doing tea. Yeah. Oh, good I love stuff, the coach. You know, um,
2: Yeah, yeah. Final four-wise, are you starting to get pumped up for it? Like, It's a slow burn for me. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to be watching these games on Saturday. I'll be fired up for it. But I'd be lying to you if I said, I'm fired up on a Thursday. How do you feel about it?
1: It's a little masked today because I've been so hyped and excited about opening day in the MLB that like I'm not used to baseball being this early. And so it's like, oh, we still have March Madness that's going on. And I forget about it for a second. But yeah, once today's over, opening day's done, and we're on Final Four Friday, I'd be amped up and hyped and ready to go. I, I, there was the sense initially after the Nets were cut down, like, man, i got to wait three or four days before mm. we're back in here. And so there is that lull period. You're exactly right. Tomorrow, though, guns a uh ready for tip off uh, 24 hours or so after that.
2: I got a sad betting story for you here. So I'm I'm following this uh, Giants-Yankees game right now. You're Bronx Bombers, Jimmy. Indeed. Yeah, and uh, I saw two bets. Your guy, Garrett Cole, is just mowing him down. Man. He had 10 strikeouts in the first four innings. And so I'm like, okay, uh, let me maybe I can bet uh, the Giants to not score a run in the fifth inning. It's at minus 525. Ooh. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound sexy right there. <laughs> like That's just way too much to lay for a small profit. And then I glanced at who's going to score the next run. I'm like, okay, Yankees only minus 140. I'm like, well, yeah. they might score a run or two in the next few innings. And Garrett Cole just kind of holds them at bay. And I was just doing the math and just getting comfortable enough with making the bet. And then I see they scored two runs and I missed my window. <laughs> I missed it by a handful of seconds right there. Very sad. Very sad.
1: That Hey, you know what that means, though? That means that you are true to your craft, true to your job. You were not distracted by the temptations of live bets on opening day. Uh-huh. You were locked into that conversation with Bruce Weber.
2: Oh, absolutely. I was locked in. He was <laughs> tremendous. Oh, that was awesome. I thought about good get this, Eddie. It, by the way, good good
1: work, yeah. Eddie Garrison. With, Thank with the you. Book there. Well done, sir. Yeah,
2: I thought about Stop. this, and there just wasn't time for it. But next time we talk to a coach, Bruce Weber would have been perfect for this. But I was thinking, we always talk about athletes that you love to watch, or if you had to pay to watch one college basketball player, one NBA player, who would be that guy? I want to ask a guy like Bruce Weber who he'd pay to see coach. Ooh, you know that's what I a good mean? One. Like. Yeah. Right? Like who's the guy that you enjoy seeing coach the most, whether it's schematically energy wise, the buttons he's pushing entertainment value. What is it? I'm curious who he would, who he would say right there. I think a lot of coaches would say Tom Izzo.
1: Yeah. That's again. I, I know that if Dane Fife is listening somewhere, his ears are perking up a bit, but yeah, I, I feel the same way. I don't think it's the ears. Uh, just because with Fife, sorry, with coach Izzo, there's electricity on the sidelines the entire time. You know what a timeout is going to be called. You're going to see some exquisite set drawn up or just the perfect play that's there. used the whole package in terms of what you were hoping to see from an entertainment value if you're just looking at the coach.
2: Yeah, they did one thing with I would have to go back and look it up, but they did something with Tom Izzo and another college basketball coach, I want to say. And they monitored their heart rate and the amount of stress that they were under during the game. And it was fascinating. It was kind of one of those sports science type things. I don't know if that's exactly what it was, but it was along those lines. And it was crazy. They are like, the amount of stress Coach Izzo is under right now is the equivalent of blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh my gosh, like this guy is facing a lot of stress at this current time.
1: 14... breaths per minute was his resting respiratory rate a heartbeat of 68 minutes that was before the game as the game's getting started 36 breaths per minute 97 beats per minute and then after first basket that was scored by illinois in this illinois michigan state game Izzo's heart rate immediately spiked to 120 (laughs) that's just paraphrasing some of it this is amazing read it's from like five or six years ago oh Dude, it was tremendous. I don't know if that's what exactly I'm talking about. It might be. Michigan State down by 12, nine minutes into the game. Izzo's heart rate 120 beats per minute. Core body temperature approached 100 degrees. <laughs> that's crazy, right?
5: It's no, insane.
3: Man, you know who I'd love to see on that? Who? Fran McCaffrey.
1: Oh, me too. Oh, oh yeah, I yeah. would give money to see Fran McCaffrey on the, on the stress test here. And have the you know the, the meter of redness to pink. Yep, I need yep. that on a live stream, just that. Just Fran McCaffrey pace the sidelines, maybe a little tiny box with the game, and just his uh, his heart rate and everything else up and down. I want the vitals.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to find, man, the Izzo sound. Of uh, like, uh, would somebody please guard somebody? This is my favorite part. This was, they they came back and beat Nebraska, I want to say, but uh, th- this is what he said on Big Ten Network.
6: Really complicated. We, we decided to do a bunch of different things, you know, so we went in the lab, and we said, would somebody please guard somebody? <laughs> That's all we did.
2: <laughs> That's what turned it around. I love this, too. He was a guest on uh, the Dan Patrick Show recently, and I thought this answer was very funny. I
6: keep telling you every year it's not the yelling I don't yell anymore that's illegal now you have get lawyers that sue you for yelling at your players you don't understand the new rules Dan we just tell him would you please guard somebody would you please pass it to the right guy
2: <laughs> yeah, there's, he's asking him about his ho- his voice being hoarse and he's saying it's really just a lack of sleep Mount- you, you don't know the new rules we can't yell at anybody anymore uh,
1: Mount funny. Rushmore of coach voice no doubt Tom Izzo, oh. top, top of the chart one of the best.
2: Yep. Absolutely one of the best. All right, we've got Scott Agnes right around the corner talking some Pacers with us. Uh, Rick Carlisle said uh, they made it tough on the Bucks for three quarters. Did Scott see it the same way? <laughs> we sure did. We missed that part. We'll talk some Pacers coming up. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and
0: 107.5 The Fan.
4: Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Scott Agnes. Who covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Also, 1075thefan.com joining us here Scott, what's going on, man? Well, we were talking about <laughs> Rick Carlisle after the game last night saying, yeah, I thought we made it tough on the Bucks for three quarters. And I was like, I missed that part. I, I didn't see them making it tough. What was your, your thought on that with uh, Rick talking about the defensive <laughs> effort of the Pacers?
7: Yeah, good to be on with you guys. I, it was one of those where I think it was more accurately they hung in there. They they yeah. they stayed alive, which is important against this Bucks team that is – Beaten the Pacers all but two times over the last five or six years and by an average of, like, 17 points per game. So when you add that context, it does matter a little bit. But, yeah, there was very little defense. You allow a season-high 149 points. There was absolutely no stoppage at all for Undead Akumbo or Drew Holiday. So, yes, they hung in there, but uh, I'm not sure there was a lot gained or learned from that game.
1: Scott, you were at Pacers practice today and you tweeted a video a couple hours ago about Buddy Heald rejoining the team and at practice today, uh, what, five games left to go. Do you expect him being immediately inserted uh, within this lineup or are they still going to be cautious with everything knowing that their, their tragic number is about at two right now?
7: Yeah, so I'm glad you asked about Buddy. It's really interesting because he's a guy who had missed four games total in his career into, until this week where he's missed two in a row. And I, I laugh when I get a little bit, bit of blowback from fans that would be like, oh, okay, are they just holding him out? No, we, we got the full story from Buddy. For one, he hates missing games, but it took him going into the ER Monday morning um, him to miss games he was just sick had a fever it's the story I'm writing about now for Fieldhouse Files but uh, it's a situation too now moving forward I still think it's going to be a hard time for Rick Carlisle and the coaching staff to keep him out he just loves playing far too often and so I don't expect him um, to be a guy that sits the rest of the year whereas I think that's definitely uh, the case with Tyrese with Miles Turner and perhaps Chris Duarte who's dealing with an ankle injury so it's sort of
2: tank mode with the exception of Buddy Healed? Is that what's going on here?
7: <laughs> yes, I think if you want to say it that way, i try to say prioritizing development or, or getting a bigger picture, some data points with these young guys because that is a very real part of it. But I also think, yes, the elephant in the room here is you want as good a draft pick as you can get because the reality is they have not had a good season. You're already bad enough to be in the lottery. You don't want to screw it up by winning a few more games here, right? How I present it here is the Pacers should have a top seven-ish draft pick um, and be in the lottery for the third straight year. And then I hope we don't see them in the lottery for another decade. This is not what the franchise is about, but it was a long overdue situation, Brian, for them to go into a full rebuild, something they would have been adamantly against with owner Herb Simon. And so it was necessary. You pay the cost a little bit, and then I think you spring forward going off after being in the lottery this season.
1: Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files and of our very own 1075thefan.com as well. Scott, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, in fact, Pacers knock off the Bucs, uh, you know, an incredible win given where the ups and downs of the season have been and like you mentioned they kind of hang around with Milwaukee at times last night albeit not the defensive effort that coach Carlisle wants moving forward when you look at this team I know it's been our conversation all season are, are they really just a piece just another successful offseason from Kevin Pritchard and company away from being where they want to be and like you said out of the lottery
7: I think how you framed it at the end, yeah, absolutely. Because I think that this will – another good offseason, a successful offseason, Jimmy, I believe, will put him back in the playoffs. But that's still not where they want to be. Right. Obviously, they'll want to be the championship contender statue, uh, stature, and I think that'll take a, a couple more moves, most likely. Um, what you're going to see here is the front office have, a, have an opportunity to go a variety of ways as they expect to have five draft picks. We now know they'll have four certain – three first-round picks, and look at the roster. It's already very young. Uh, guys that need minutes, what you don't want to do is you know, add three first-round picks here. So I think it's more likely uh, that they move a couple of the picks, maybe even a second-round pick, maybe a player package that, and you try to go upgrade. And what that looks like to start, I think, is to try to get that 3 and D wing, something they have really lacked Truly, since Paul George, Boyan Bogdanovich was a decent stopgap, Thad Young at times. That's the biggest area of need. And I, th- I thought last night's game, you know, it was completely obvious. There was, there was nobody that they could fairly throw. On Giannis or Drew Holiday. At that, Drew Holiday had a game of his life. I thought it was kind of cool at the end of the game. Uh, Coach Buttonholzer kept him in there because he knows how unique, how rare, and how special these games are. Um, and, and Drew had it going, and you hate to disrupt that. And so uh, in terms of defense, though, so Pacers, that's been their biggest issue all year for the last couple of years. That's an area they must upgrade. Scott Agnes joining us here on The Fan.
2: Yeah, I'm just curious, Scott, if you're being completely honest with us, and I know you are, do you agree with the timeline of tanking slash prioritizing development, right? It's similar to the Blazers with Damian Lillard, right? There are some other teams that's comparable. Or do you think they should have done this a little bit earlier where they might get more ping pong balls?
7: In terms of trying to trying to maybe lose here later in the season? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. I, I did think they should have done it a week earlier. That's what I was pushing for with Tyrese in particular. Um, it, it really doesn't make too big of a difference just because it may be a spot or two. Because what I'm getting at is they're not so bad like the Charlotte Hornets that they've lost 51 games. Like, the Pacers aren't going to catch up. They weren't going to catch up to them probably if it was another two or three weeks there. Um, The Magic are very much in play in the Trailblazers. So you couldn't move about two spots there. But I I like what they did for the most part. Um, this season they absolutely needed to get into a rebuild you needed to learn more about this team see what so many of them are made of give the rookies ample opportunity and that is the advantage right now these last several weeks as we're seeing Matherin and Nimhard not only get more minutes we saw Matherin play 41 last night but they're also being put in different spots Matherin now starting now trying to take on more defensively trying to do more offensively beyond just attack you know, get into a second and third reads and and pass more, for example. But um, I don't mind where they're at. Yeah, they could have started a week or two earlier, but I think they're in a good spot, at least owning up to it here late.
1: Scott, what are you tracking? Through these final five games, these last two weeks, because th- there's been the earmarks, maybe not as much the last two mm-hmm. games, but there's been the earmarks of play or play in push versus ping pong balls. Me and Brian are, are in that same camp of, yeah, we'd like to see more ping pong balls added, but now we're at a point where you're five games left, you're a win or a, a win by Chicago and a loss by you away from it being curtains, and that's the end of it in the play in talk. What are you tracking personally over these last five games?
7: Yeah, so what number one is. Rick Carlisle still trying to set the culture and build good habits. So beyond, that's the only thing you risk in, in how you're finishing this season a little bit. And one thing that this franchise really went after in the offseason and over the last year or so is going out and either getting via trade or drafting guys who love the game, who are competitors and hate to lose. Just think about Buddy. Think about Tyrese, Benedict Mather, Nimhart. That's all in their DNA is those guys are going to battle and fight, whether it's, you know, a game of ping pong, a game of euchre, or a game of horse on the court. And so you, you don't want to get too away from, um, from that here in the in the latter part of games. But more than anything, guys, I'm looking at at fit and, and, and if how guys are being able to expand their game. They talk about Mather, and we know he can drive, attack, and get to the line. I'd like to see him shoot better from three-point range. I'd like to see him um, be able to read defenses better, to to facilitate more at times how does he look in the starting lineup going against first uh the number one guys rather than just taking advantage of bench players you know coming in with the bench uh the big question throughout the year and will remain through the offseason i think two guys is what are we doing at backup center here because uh daniel tice are holding out as well there's no reason for him to play we know exactly what that veteran is like but I'm not so sure do you bring back both Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith next year. So I think you want to see more of what they can contribute. How do they work within the group that's going to be here moving forward? And then you try to find an answer that you can then act on, whether it's a trade, et cetera, coming up in the offseason. So it's more individual development and just seeing these guys – and Neesmith and War, for example, are good young players. They just didn't get an opportunity. Now they are. You mentioned Euchre, Scott. I have to know if you're a solid
2: Euchre player or not. I am, absolutely. Oh, I nice. Love it. There you go. <laughs> like scale from 1 to 10, you're like a 9 or a 10?
7: Uh, I don't play enough to be that good, I don't yeah. think. I'd probably put me at a solid 6.5. 6.5, all Five. right. Well,
2: Better than average. Better than average. Right. You know, I was just thinking about... When you cover a team, sometimes it's really awkward to ask questions after a loss. Like they're just obvious answers, and it's kind of like, how do I ask this question? Is it more awkward if a team is, you know, like prioritizing development, i.e., taking right? Like,
7: is it more awkward to ask questions along those lines? I think it's a situation where you read the room, and so i yeah. I'm not framing a question here like a couple people did but going after the all-star break it was like hey how much are you getting excited to make some noise and make a playoff push and i'm just <laughs> i'm sitting back there and i'm like all right i got to read the room here you got to understand <laughs> the the front office mentality uh, also if you're asking players that what else should they say could they say yeah. like a player's not never going to sit back and be like oh this is fine i don't mind this as long as my paycheck hits right not at all the case these guys I want to emphasize, have individually have so much to play for. All the guys playing right now, essentially outside of maybe T.J. McConnell, still have so much to prove with their individual careers um and so yeah i I totally respect that and understand that question and so you try to understand the optics and i think that's where covering a team for 10 plus years really helps inform where i go with questions to me it's not about the individual game the individual defense let's say off last night it's all right you're improving individually or team-wise in certain departments how has that been emphasized or what are you trying to get accomplished here in the big picture? That's how I at least look at it.
1: Scott, changing lanes just for a second. College basketball final four this weekend, any lean for you and any rooting interest? Will you be watching?
7: Absolutely. We'll be watching. I feel like if you live in Indiana, you got to, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this, is, this is one of those situations though. I was having this conversation while we were uh, waiting around here at Pacers practice earlier was, this is one where you hear so many times fans are like, oh, you know, you you want the underdog. You want the unique story. I'm tired of whomever, UNC going to the finals. But now once we get into it, it I, like what happens if it's 27-25 in the first half and, you know, and it's a situation where I think we'll all be like, all right, you kind of do want a blue blood involved in all of this. But I appreciate these teams getting this opportunity and earning it. My, I feel like UConn's going to win it. Selfishly, I'd love to see Dusty May in Florida Atlantic. I love the run they've been on, and, and the local ties has me push, pulling for them. Well, hey,
2: Scott, thanks for taking some time, man. Enjoyed it. Thought you had some great stuff today, and uh, look forward to talking to you sometime down the road. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. All right, thank you, man. There he is, Scott Agnes, covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files, also 1075thefan.com. Really good stuff. All right, we got a quiz around the corner here. Jimmy. Eddie Garrison has been hard at work trying to make us look foolish. You know?
1: <laughs> he will succeed. Considering yeah. I know what the topic is, he, he will succeed. Yeah, now, he probably hey, will. At least for I me anyway. I didn't probably make will. it
3: hard. I did not make it hard. I will preface it that. okay, They are household names that most fans know the name of.
2: Okay. Alright, we'll do that. We got a quiz and a great rant. Historically great rant right around the corner. I'm Brian Though He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. All right, before we get to the quiz, that's sure to make us look foolish with baseball players that have switched uniforms. So it's basically the MLB version of who he play for, right? Well, like, where
3: are they now? Yeah. <laughs> where where yeah. are yes. they now?
2: And like Field of Dreams in the background, you know, dress it up baseball style. Um, but first, there was a, a great tweet here. So this was from Woj, right? Not a Woj bomb, but... He was talking about the Sacramento Kings making the playoffs for the first time since 2006. And he wrote that the Kings are officially back in the Western Conference playoffs. Monty McNair, the GM, drafted Tyrese Halliburton and Keegan Murray, uh, traded for Demonis Sabonis and Kevin Herter and hired Mike Brown. And Woj actually uh, quote tweeted the GM's initial tweet, Monty McNair, he put a, a GIF of Jim Mora And the epic playoffs, (laughs) that's what the GM put out there. And uh, Jimmy, I did a little bit of digging before the show and uh, the whole playoff rant. So it goes back to the 2001 season. And so this is Peyton's, what, uh, he's been in the league since 98. So this is, what, his fourth season, I guess, in the NFL. And it was week 11 the Colts lost to the 49ers at home, 40-21. to And this rant with the, the playoffs. Uh, the playoffs? It was like four rants in one. Like he had yeah. all these other great drops. You kidding me? <laughs> You're right. Like, in my opinion, that sucked. This is all the same rant. That yeah. was a disgraceful performance. And this is also good. Inexcusable. <laughs> it was all the same thing right there. Tremendous. Top shelf.
1: Yeah, it's one of the all-time great rants in any sport, not just the NFL. It's a classic.
2: You know what I also thought of? I wish they would do a story. It's not a 30 for 30, but just sometimes they do those ESPN shorts. Yeah, 30 for 30 short. Yeah, yeah. What they should do is a thing on the media member that asked the question... That led that to, led the, to rant. the rant, <laughs> right? Like, who was the guy who has, hey, hey, Jim, what do you think about the playoffs? Or whatever he said. Yeah. I'm about to the playoffs, and he's off and running. Or, you know, Herm Edwards, hello, you play to win the game. Like, who asked the question before? I would love, I think that would
1: be a lot of fun. I think that if you're looking for a side hustle, you have a good pitch. You can you can send to a, to a documentarian or to an executive somewhere for that. I'd be on board. I like that's awesome.
2: Okay, so before the quiz here, we got a couple of minutes. Uh, just one minute. So the the Sacramento Kings, sixteen long years, a lot of failed draft picks, Jimmy. So if you look at some of the the more notable ones, they did hit on De'Aaron Fox. They drafted Boogie Cousins. It's not like it's been a total disaster. But some of these years, who they drafted and who they missed out on, who, baby. 2018, Marvin Bagley. Next pick, Luka Doncic. Tough. <laughs> Fifth pick, Trey Young, just a couple later. Uh, 2015, Willie Cully Stein. A couple of guys named uh, Miles Turner and Devin Booker drafted after that. Oof. Rough. Uh, 2014, Nick Stauskas. What is it? Sauce Castillo is what he's known as. <laughs> A little bit later, Zach Levine. That didn't work out. 2013, went with Ben McLemore. Uh, Giannis went after that. Not good. Uh, 2012, Thomas Robinson. Next pick, Damian Lillard. And then one notably from 2011, they traded for Jimmer for debt. 10th overall. Next pick, Klay Thompson. A couple of picks later, Kawhi Leonard. And I guess the last one, a little cherry on top, 2009, they went with Tyreek Evans, fourth overall, seventh overall, Steph Curry. Kings weren't the only one to miss that. No, they were not. Yeah. Yeah. DeMar DeRozan, ninth overall, that draft as well. So a lot of missed uh, draft picks by the Kings, but they're back in the playoffs, baby. All right, we got a quiz. Do we have official music for this? I
3: wish we did. Okay, no official music for this. That's okay. I know. Uh, so I've got, <laughs> let's see how many, let's see how many, let's see how many players we can get through here before we get to the Jay I got some for you. Oh, let's <laughs> do this. There we go. Nice. All right. I like it. Uh, B, there we go. Yeah. All right. Very first good. name we got on the list. Trey Turner. Formerly okay, with the Dodgers. So, Where is he now?
2: Oh gosh. Where is Trey Turner? I'll let you take that one, Jimmy. He's in Philadelphia.
3: <laughs> Jimmy got it right. Where is wow, Jacob DeGrom nice. now? Formerly with the Mets. He signed with a new team in the offseason. Jacob DeGrom. Texas. Yes. Yes. Correct. Nice. Uh, all right. Those are the two little easy ones that I gave you guys.
2: Oh, it just gets harder from here.
3: Dansby Swanson. Where is ah, he I now? I should know this. With, he was with the Braves. Now, yep. where is he? I, is it the Cubs? It is the Cubs. Yeah. Jimmy, do you know that one?
1: I, I was going to guess the Cubs, but no one will believe me. Okay. Oh, okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Xander Bogart's formerly again with the Boston Red Sox. Where is he now? Uh, I think it's the Padres, right? Okay, you played this off. You are no, totally no, 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 sandbagged. no,
2: no, no. That's a big name, and I remember that story of he's joining a who's who list over there in, in yeah. San Diego. All right, Jimmy. Yeah.
3: He's a, He was a former White Sox first baseman. Jose Abreu, where did he sign? Oh, uh,
1: the Giants?
3: No. Mm.
2: I have no idea. I saw a
1: tweet from from White Sox ownership saying it's going to be weird seeing him in this uniform yesterday. And I can't Houston
2: remember. Astros. Mm, that's right. That's oh, right. Oh wow! you? Yep. Yep. Huh. Wow. Interesting. I got two more. Carlos yeah.
3: Correa. He was with the Minnesota He's Twins. He's with the Mets. Where is no, he now? He stayed. He, he with stayed with Minnesota. It was yes, a did. trick question. It was by a trick you. question. How dare you? Because he signed with like three different
1: teams. <laughs> I felt <was all> confident. <laughs> I needed I needed to dominate the mic that time because I was wrong. All right, I was piggybacking off Brian, and then I just looked foolish. Tonight. All right, our last one.
3: Wilson Contreras, he was with the Cubs. Oh, Where is he easy. now? I know Brian knows. this Jimmy's a
1: great,
2: great team. Uh, Trusted the organization. There, there you, there you go. go. Exactly.
3: There you go. Just a couple nice. little easy ones. Thank you, know. you. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Now, that Jimmy, was
2: good. What were we saying, Brian? No, no. I said that was good. And then, yeah, go for it. What
3: I was going to toss it up to Jimmy and say, Jimmy, what you got for today?
1: Oh, yeah. The Jay Cook plays of the day.
3: This is me. All right, I'm not a. Athlete, this is my way. This is
5: how I win.
1: Okay, so full transparency with this first bet. A buddy of mine that, that loves baseball betting and is more successful than I am at it, I did steal a play from him here. Shout out to Colin O'Connor for the tip with this. And Ronald Rodriguez of the Detroit Tigers taking him over three and a half strikeouts today versus the Tampa Bay Rays. The other two bets that I have for you are what I call happiness bets. No one likes that. You don't make money with happiness, but I want my co-host and my producer to oh, be happy no. today. No, I'm no. taking the Reds on the money line and I'm oh, taking the Cardinals on the wow. money line. Minus 140 oh, wow. and minus 105. Those are the plays of the day. Oh. One one yesterday, 3 and 4 on the week on Twitter at the J. Cook. You're grunting. You don't like that, Eddie? I do.
3: I just hate it when he bets the Reds because then they lose. I was
1: going to bet the Pirates, and you were <laughs> like, no, I don't like that Pirates money line bet. So I, I switched, and I wanted happiness right. instead. I apologize. Okay. Okay. You know, I
3: made a
2: season-long bet over here. One of my buddies talked me into this. He's been on John Birdie. The second baseman for the Miami Marlins to lead the league in stolen bases. Ooh. He did it last year. He's 11 yeah. to 1 to do it this year. And so I dipped my beak in the waters of John Birdie before the season got underway today.
3: I do have some plays here. I got. I I already won one. I put put all my plays in the chat earlier, so (laughs) the chat knows. We'll count it as a dub in the YouTube chat. I had the Braves leading after the third inning. That was plus 100. Uh, I've got a same-game parlay with strikeouts. Not a same-game parlay, but a parlay with strikeouts here. Jacob DeGrom, 7-plus, and Hunter Green, 6-plus. That is minus 150. Taking the Guardians and the Mariners under 3.5 through the first five innings. That's minus 144. A little juice there, but Castillo and Bieber, two dominant pitchers. And then I'll take the Angels Athletics under seven. Uh, that's at minus one, 105. Otani on the mound and his three matchups last year. Get the A's. None of the games went over seven. The Athletics are not going to be good offensively. Plus, the weather does not look great in that one. And then transitioning now into the NBA. <laughs> went one and one yesterday. Uh, and then two and one in the chat between us three. Uh, tonight, it's a nice matchup. Boston-Milwaukee, I will take Marcus Smart under eleven and a half points. Okay. That's minus one ten.
2: Man, dude, your your card is full over it. Can I get odds on the most underrated NFL season of all time? Carson Wentz. Yeah, I think would you say get plus like plus ten thousand. Yeah, say Brian, that's I think. minus fifteen hundred is what I would say. <laughs> JMV here. coming up. Enjoy your day. We'll
0: catch you soon.